All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemaluski. Uh Chema, how are we doing today, my man? As always, dude, doing pretty good. A little upset about the Supreme Court thing, but um, that's a conversation topic for another day. And uh, just know that uh, we're getting ready to uh, take our break. And yeah. so this month, it's going to be the best of. And we're going to do like, um, you know, a recording of some like a little bit of a banter type thing to set up a like a previous episode. Mm-hmm. And then you guys can listen to some best ofs. Exactly. Exactly. We are. Yeah, we're going on vacation. And um, in, in lieu of, you know, in lieu of trying to there, originally, I think we were going to try to do some like kind of experimental like fake news kind of stuff yeah. it was going to be you know there, it was going to be all performative but like we just didn't have time like there's no time uh between you know between our, our lives to um to, to sort of like plan that far ahead for some of these things so yeah. um we just opted to do a best of month you know I'm, I'm gonna and just because it's us i'm gonna i'm gonna mark it question mark best of um you know <laughs> is it really the best of i don't know um, but we are, we're each going to highlight a couple episodes, um, from past seasons, uh, from past years, and we're going to give like a little intro for each one, as Chema said, and just kind of pull out some stuff that we noticed, um, uh, upon our, upon our re-listen. Um, in some cases, uh, this is, some, in some cases, these episodes are quite old. Um, and in, and in that case, like, I, 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 I won't like, go, I won't get too far into this because I want to save obviously for the bulk of the discussion. But like as as I when I listened to a couple that were older, like much older, um, I realized like how it, like how how little I remember from stuff that we spent in some cases like four hours doing. Like I don't yeah. remember some of this stuff. Oh God, I know, man. Jesus, there were some things in there where it's like, wow, okay, yeah, we really got into that. There were some things in there that um, were like actually very surprising in a good way. Like there's some interesting uh, discussions that we presented mm-hmm. in some of these episodes. Yep. Yep. So that's what we're doing for this month. Um, so let's, we might as well just jump right into it, Chama. Let's, um, Chama, I'm going to start with you. You are going to lead okay. off, are you gonna, you're going to lead off July for us, our first episode. Um, so what is the, what is the episode? And again, order doesn't matter. Take your pick. Doesn't matter which one you go with first. So um, oh, what is, right. what is the episode that you're going to start us off with? Okay, since it's a July month uh, that we're taking off, I'm going to do an episode that we recorded in July, and this aired on July 30th of 2018. It is our cinema dissection, the second one that we did for RoboCop. Nice. Very nice. Um, so, I, I don't know, should we do the lightning round question now, or you want to jump into why the episode, why you picked yeah. the episode? Let me do the lightning round yeah. question now. Okay. So, when we were recording this, this was our first ever drunk cast. We were having drinks and everything. Yep. It was the first time we recorded on a Saturday night. Do you remember what you were drinking? I feel like I feel like one of them was a one one drink I had was a Great Lakes IPA. Okay, you had a uh, Great Lakes Lightkeeper. Is that uh, the IPA? Um, not it's. I think it's a, it's a IPA, but it's not the current Great Lakes IPA. Like there okay. is, there's one now just called Great Lakes IPA, but yes, a light keeper. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. You had a light keeper. You had a uh, Finnish vodka called Rekia vodka and yep. a market garden Chinook strike. Oh, no shit. I, I had, I had a whole little, uh, that's right. I, I feel like now that I'm thinking about this, uh, like one thing I actually bought and the other stuff was just shit I had sitting around. So yeah. I gotcha. It was, it was just sort of like a clean out the fridge kind of deal. 
Yeah, like that was um, that was sort of the situation for me, too, because this was the episode that I made the announcement I was moving to uh, Los Angeles, which is one of the reasons that I um, did pick it. Mm-hmm. But there are more. And like I was drinking this um, like buffet of different beers that I had clearly had just been in my fridge forever. And there was like a. I had a Brick and Barrel Bitter Chief, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. beer. I'm hoping that they still make it. Uh, Mad Tree Rounding Third, and um, something from Saugatuck, the brewery I like from Western uh, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Bonfire Brown, which is fantastic. And then the other thing, which um, I I learned about this factoid after I will tell you what I'm drinking here not that long ago, is uh, what the, one of the things that I had was a Willoughby Brewing Company peanut butter cup stout, and I had like a, a Crowler, like a 32 ounce thing. Yeah delicious beer and that place is no longer open now it closed um since i moved out to california so sometime in the last four years the willoughby brewing company decided to close the stores which i was quite surprised about because that's kind of like a landmark institution in willoughby i mean that's just as much of a uh, a landmark as oh, insert willoughby bar here i'm totally drawing a blank on something yeah. but um like i remember the willoughby brewing company being one of like the earlier Cleveland breweries, at least like ones that started to like, you know, get their own kind of like um, made their own names for themselves, you know, and the, mm-hmm. there was like Great Lakes and then there was Willoughby and uh, Willoughby, I guess, just closed its doors. And I wouldn't be surprised because I'm sure that the strip and the area of downtown Willoughby has changed so much over the years. But um, it does kind of suck to lose like an OG like um, brewing company like that. Oh, I think they were. um I remember this. I think they were a pandemic casualty. Okay. Like a lot well. of places. And in, in, in even even though they're definitely like an, a more of an established, you know, a long, longer time establishment, they don't have the same um, financial security that a Great Lakes does. So right. they got, I'm fairly certain they were a pandemic casualty. Yeah, that's that's really unfortunate to hear. And today of all days, I heard Vincenzo's Pizza closed downtown and that is... That's a fucking loss right mm-hmm. there. I mean, th- that place was – that's like historic as like historic can come as far as Cleveland pizza places go. So, um, you know, I know there's this whole out with the old, in with the new thing in the restaurant industry. But, like, it just – it kind of sucks when some places you actually have some kind of connection to start to close up shop. Yeah. Whether it be because of the pandemic or whatever the building got sold, it, it just kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, it happens. There is um, – in, in BG, the – one of the – one of the uh, uh, there when I was there, there were a lot more sort of unique um, and local like food spots, you know, sandwich spots, pizza places, whatever. Like there were the only like one or two in the in, yeah. the, in the entire region, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, over time, it's obviously been supplanted by like a there's like a Jimmy John's on every fucking corner, every you know every pizza place is a branded pizza place, um, mm-hmm. whatever. So one of the last sort of holdouts was. Um, um, oh gosh, I can't, why can't I fucking remember the name of it now? Gosh, it's been so, it's, now it's called like Pizza 516. Um, but, um, it, it's, which is just the address, um, of the, of the building that it's in. Um, oh gosh, what, Miles, Miles Pizza, Miles Pizza, what it used to be called. Um, yeah. and like they had this really like unique sort of signature style to their pizza. Like it was, it, you took... For like a like a large pizza, like and a large, say twelve inch pizza. So that's like mm-hmm. generally speaking, like a medium in most places. Um, yeah. That twelve inch pizza had literally, you know, those like um, those like kind of catering trays that you'd see, like you know, food in, like at a at a banquet or something. Oh yeah. One of those large ones was dumped onto a twelve inch, like filled with cheese. That whole thing <sighs> on a medium pizza, 
And oh, man. <laughs> they would charge, like, the top layer was, like, charred. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it wouldn't cook all the way through. But that of was, course. like, sort of, like, that was, like, the trick with their pizza. Like, it had this really interesting sauce and this, like, thick, I mean, really thick layer of cheese on top. And yeah. once they, once the, um, the guy who owned Miles, uh, he just retired basically. And he didn't, he didn't sell some of like his recipe stuff. So the, mm-hmm. the new place is just kind of doing a, a, a similar thing to it, but it's just not the same. It's totally fine pizza, but it's not Miles pizza. Of course, dude, I know exactly what you mean. And like, it's, there are so many of these kinds of places, especially now with the, with the pandemic. And even since Cleveland has kind of modernized itself in the last 10 years, where there are these places that, that close up shop, you know, like even in one case, Steve's lunch caught on fire and kind of burned to the ground. And Mm -hmm. there are other things that kind of exist in the city, but it's just not like, you know, that fucking taste that experience like going to the place that you've been accustomed to this entire time so yeah like yeah man it's um is really disappointing to hear about willoughby disappointing to hear about vincenzas and stuff like that so those things kind of like the willoughby thing definitely factored into why i picked this episode and right the other one is is that like this is the second cinema dissection we've ever done um i for some reason i don't know why i didn't go with the tremors one i guess i just thought the robocop and the alcohol part would be more of a entertaining thing to kind of relive yeah especially in, in terms of the, the best of and stuff. So, um, you know, I thought the discussion was really, really good. I, there was a lot more great points about like the satirical nature of RoboCop and everything that we kind of got into on the podcast. And I, I was quite impressed with um, the way that that discussion picked up. So yeah, so that's why one of the, the main reasons that I chose it. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I, I actually, that was, that was RoboCop or Tremors was going to be one of my choices. Um, before nice. I settled on what I settled on, um, but so I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad one of us went for it for sure because that was a fun episode for sure. Oh so, God, yeah, man. So, did anything surprise you about um, about this episode upon the upon the re-listen? Well, like I was actually surprised, like how well you could kind of tell that we weren't like letting the drunkness get the best of us and the discussion like because you had started two um vodkas deep and like and so we have a good like there's probably a good like 90 minutes or so before um you could really start to tell the alcohol's taken its effect on us so i gotta say i was quite surprised at that because like going through it it seemed um it didn't seem like too drunkenly until more of like the end, but like I was kind of surprised that like we held it together for 90 minutes and it still sounded pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, we, we are professional drinkers, so it's, uh, yeah, you know, we can, we can, we can muscle through if we have to. It also, it also does sort of help that, um, we had like something to focus on, I guess. Not sure yeah, how else I put that. So like if, if it was if it was a little less focused, I'm sure that we would like the the drunkenness would have gotten to us quicker. Yeah, there would be a lot of like tangents just for no reason whatsoever and stuff about God only knows what. And there were a couple of those, but mm-hmm. there could have been more. Like if like if we got if we decided to get drunk and do like a five good topics, that would be like that would be everywhere. That would be a yeah. mess. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, before we get to it here, one last thing. So is there anything from this episode that you just, you know, I, I know this one's probably a little bit harder to, to pull this from, but is there anything that you, that you agree with from this episode or, or you know, that like you like an opinion, a fact, something you remember, you know, something you went over that you still agree with or, and maybe now something that you disagree with? 
okay, so the agreeing one, take this one to the grave, is that like Kurtwood Smith was like the only fucking person in the world that could play Carol Aaron Spottinger, and he knocked it out mm-hmm. of the goddamn park. Yeah. I swear that um, his performance in that, and like I will tell you, I had not watched RoboCop in its entirety since we've done this, but for some reason, like little clips of the movie seem to like make their way into my social media feed every now and then. And like his performance has just gotten like a lot better over time. And like, it's gotten so much better over time to where like, I am like, that is just a legit good performance. That's not just a good performance for an action movie. That is a legit good performance. Mm-hmm. It'd be a good performance in any fucking movie. Yep. Yep. He's, he's fucking awesome as Clarence. He is so fucking good. Every, I think that's like the, one of the, the, the tricky, the, the sneaky things from that movie is that mm-hmm. everyone, everyone in the movie is like on for what they're supposed to be doing. Everyone in that movie is on point. Yes. Oh God. Like, fucking such a good goddamn fucking performance Mm. dude and so the one that i disagreed with and this is actually to give people a little bit of a forewarning and this had to be somewhere around the time where there's some early indications of alcohol but like i got into this like there little bit of a tangent about um joe pesci and his performance in goodfellas like um I guess like being like a little bit like almost like too cartoony at times. And I made a comparison to casino, which I still believe casino is the better movie, (laughs) but like I disagree with it now because I guess after watching the Irishman on Netflix and kind of realizing that like that may be the last time that I ever see Joe Pesci on screen again in the Scorsese movie, no less, or even just on the screen. Um, I've really just grown another like bit of appreciation for his performance in Goodfellas. He's not too talkative. He could have 500 more fucking lines and I'd still say he's, he's um, needs more lines. So I definitely take that back. Big fucking fan of Pesci and Goodfellas and anything that I was saying about him being too talkative is just know that that was when the alcohol started to kick in. Oh, blame it on the alcohol, baby. Blame it on the yep. alcohol. Um, I definitely it. will. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That, I, I forgot about that part, too, actually. So that was that's a good little reminder there. And also, really good point about Joe Pesci. He is sort of, he's getting to that age and that sort of, it's not just the age, it's also the type of actor he is. That like mm-hmm. the parts for him are at you know now are just so minimal. Like, yeah, I, I can't imagine like what else you'd cast him in at this point other than old gangster. Right, I know, and like he is exactly that in the Irishman, and you get a little bit of like you know some Pesci kind of style dialogue and stuff, and basically lines that really were made specifically for him. But it's, you know, it's not the same and it shouldn't be the same because he's much older now. Mm -hmm. But like after seeing him in The Irishman and even just the whole thing with The Irishman, even maybe being Scorsese's, you know, kind of swan song to the the gangster movie genre. It just like made me appreciate um, his appearance in Goodfellas even more so now. And I take back everything I said in that episode. (laughs) All right. Um, All right. So that's any, any other little notes here before we introduce this, this episode? No other notes. Just everybody. Here we are. The occasionalist drunk cast cinema dissection, Robocop. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into it. Uh, let's dive into the cinema dissection now, uh, as we talk RoboCop. Um, I, you know what? I want you to I want, I want you to lead off with this, uh, okay. with this particular question, because I think I know what you mean, but I want I want to be doubly sure here. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good, dude. So, um, you know, so I've watched the movie and everything. 
love this movie. It's a great, uh, a great selection for kind of what we do here with cinema dissection, which is, uh, basically like our excuse to just talk about movies we like and really like, you know, add some glory to movies that mm-hmm. may not necessarily have gotten it. And, uh, so for starters, like, um, you know, I was watching it and, um, this is what I feel like. I feel that eventually a movie called RoboCop would have been made. Now it wouldn't necessarily be anything like what we saw, but I feel that Hollywood would have grinded out a movie called RoboCop and it would have happened at some point in time. Did, like that's kind of that that was okay. kind of like that's what, what okay that that's question. that's what I thought yeah. about I wanted to be told okay yes yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely and like it's one of these things where like um I don't know there's just this kind of feels like um the story itself um the core of the story because there's genius in it like there's a lot of sprinkled genius in in this movie but the core of a story of just like there's a robotic cop. Yeah, that somebody would have thought about that in time. Like, I'm pretty confident that somebody out there would have thought about th- this plot in time. You oh, know, d- dude, this this almost. And I, I actually, I <laughs> I often wonder if I haven't seen any trivia. Like, you know, because like for in preparation for this, I was looking at the IMDb trivia and some other like articles about the satire and stuff, just to see right. like if there was. Because I often wondered if the title itself. Because as we're going to get into it, into it, RoboCop is 100% satire. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder if the title itself is satire. Of course. Like that, because the, the, like the screen, the, the screenwriters, I forgot their names. I had it up and of course I closed that window. Um, like they, they, they knew what they were like. This wasn't accidental. All of the yeah. jokes, everything that was happening, like they were lampooning many, many things. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder if RoboCop was also a lampooning kind of thing. Yeah, I gotcha. Because it it sounds it's it sounds so this it sounds like something that would have popped up on sci-fi like 15 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, exactly. Like it almost kind of like in a way like just cuz it's called RoboCop, it does have that kind of I don't know, like not necessarily like stupid, but kind of like not necessarily the most intelligent sounding of titles, right. kind of like Mega Shark Giant Octopus, you know, <laughs> like Right. It, oh, absolutely. Yeah, the screenwriters' names are Edward Neomeyer and Michael Miner. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it almost, it just, the title itself just sounds like something that is very, I, I, I don't, I, it, it just, like, you know it when you hear it. First off, you know right. it when you hear it, that's a, it's an eight, 1980s action movie. You know right away. And I, I just pulled up some other, some other, like, the you know, notable action movies from the 80s. Mm-hmm. It does, does it not fit in with Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Predator, obviously the Terminator. Uh, Rambo is actually called First Blood, like okay. that's the actual yeah, title of Rambo. Right. Yes, you bet. First Blood, Commando. Um, let me see here, just going through some other ones. Um, Bloodsport, The Running Man, Top Gun. RoboCop mm-hmm. feels like it is making fun of all of those titles. Yeah, definitely, dude. You're right. It does. Yeah, like it, that's a great way to put it. I never thought about it like that, but yeah, you're right. It does kind of have that like. Uh, like dance flick or something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. Scary movie. Mm-hmm. Right, like the movie. It kind of tells you what it's about in the title, you know. And it, it, it tells, really it tells straightforward. you what it, right in a, like a really stupid sort of way. Yeah, it's about a robotic cop. And actually, I'm actually kind of surprised um, because I feel like, and I, you know, again, it, I didn't see this in any of the trivia. I wonder if at any point in time they thought about something like cyborg cop. Um, cause like I did like yeah. cyborgs were a big thing in the eighties. 
Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, that's actually, technically speaking, if you want to get into, like, what the robots and robot kind of stuff, he's technically a cyborg. Yeah. Um, and I often wonder if they wouldn't have called him, if they didn't go with cyborg cop, but felt like RoboCop was even dumber. Right. I know. Oh, yeah, that's or, right. I shouldn't say dumber, even yeah. more blunt. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. I wonder about that, too, dude. Yeah, I never looked at it from the perspective that you're talking about, and I, I think you're spot on with that. I'm not telling you. Like, I, just in this couple minutes, I think everything you're saying here is on point. It, it could be, you know, who knows? I don't know for sure, but it's just knowing, like, when... And it's funny, because, like, I didn't really, I didn't really realize, about this, realize it about this movie until, like, many... And really, basically, until recently, like, the last, like, seven, eight years. Like, how hard the satire is in this movie, and mm-hmm. how many things it's making fun of. Um, right. Let's let, we'll we'll transition now in, into um, into like this next question. Um, and in the previous cinema dissection, we called Tremors a perfect movie. Um, I mean, it's it's almost like without take out like the the specifics, the giant worms and the rednecks and the location. It's like screenwriting one hundred and one. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how you want to make a movie. Like everything leads to the next thing, and almost there's literally no there's no fat. There's everything is important to the next scene, to the next part, plot point, to the whatever. Everything is important. Um, do you think RoboCop is a perfect movie for this sort of like for this genre? Be it action, satire, you know, in some points comedy. Um, do you think RoboCop is a perfect movie for this particular genre? Oh, definitely. I think I think RoboCop is a perfect movie. I think it's a perfect movie, but in a different sort of way from Tremors, mm-hmm. like. Tremors had this, like, when you're talking about, like, screenwriting 101, there's, like, a lot of, like, really great, like, textbook things in screenwriting and when things are supposed to happen in a script Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like, even, like, even, like, it almost feels, like, down to the page, you know what I'm saying? Right. And um, what's cool with Tremors and what, what I consider to be, like, how they're split in difference as far as being a perfect movie is, like, Tremors is one of these movies that, like, it, it feels like nonstop. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even even like when there's a lull, the lull was very, very, very abbreviated. And when I say lull, I'm not using it in a derogatory sense. I'm just meaning like kind of like a pause from like significant amount of action, you know? So right, like, like when they're sitting on the rocks. Yeah. The, exactly. the, the, the first time they're sitting on the rocks. Yeah, it, definitely, dude. And like it's for however long Tremor's in, which is like just like above 90 minutes or whatever. Um, it, It's one of these kind of movies that like there's just – like one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing happening after another. And I feel that like the, the movie itself is just faster and, um, and the fastness of it combined with a lot of the other things that we talked about. And when I say like just the fastest, it all comes down to overall storytelling. That that's like what makes it kind of like a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think RoboCop is perfect for a different, like a different way. And um, when it comes down to, like, a lot of, like, the writing and stuff like that, like, there's some very, very, very textbook story, like, telling here, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, even when it comes down to if we were to break down the screenplay, I guarantee, like, page count-wise, some of the events probably happen, like, right around the same way that they're supposed to. Right. But it didn't move the same way that Tremors did. You know, mm-hmm. Tremors moves in a way that, like, a very, very rare stream of movies do. Like, usually those movies that, like, take place in a day, you know, like, or even, like, Gravity, which is supposed to, like, take place in, like, a couple hours of her just falling into Earth, you know, like, these really congested, like, time movies yeah. and stuff. You just know that it takes place in a short amount of time. RoboCop is a little bit different. And, um, it's not necessarily a knock against the movie at all because you just have to tell the story this way is, you know, cause it's just a lot of time right. lapses, right. but it's perfect in the sense that, um, like, you know, just 
the hero's quest and everything, like mm -hmm. the adversity that uh, Murphy faces. And um, we even we're going to talk about like how the movie gets really deep with some of the character development, which I think is definitely needed and really, really good as far as like, you know, what I consider to be some of the genius that's sprinkled throughout the movie. And um, also like, it's a, it's a dystopian sci-fi kind of thing that makes a, a satirical statement on the country and on like our way of life, which we will also talk about. Mm -hmm. But, um, and for those reasons alone and for like the final product, the iconography behind the product, I feel that RoboCop is a perfect movie and thus worthy of a cinema dissection. I a hundred percent agree. And I think, I think we're agreeing in the same way. And I'm going to, I'm going to sort of take, the same way, but I'm going to take it like in a, like a slightly different direction. But we're agreeing at the same basic uh, concept that RoboCop is perfect in a different way from Tremors because it's it's not the it's not the story details in the way it's structured. It's that it's a it is a perfect delivery system for some nuanced messages for yeah. for all of it. The satire, what it's saying, mm -hmm. is dressed up so nicely inside yeah. of this movie that. If you're not like looking for it, you don't you don't know that they're making fun of something, and it of just course. feels like it belongs. And because it's such, it's because it's such a biting critique on a lot of things. It is relevant to 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, 2020, 2030. 20, it's going to be a relevant movie message wise forever. Like it, it is not it, like there is no point in time that the messages in this movie are are going to become irrelevant. If that makes yeah, sense. Of course, dude, definitely. And it's crazy because um, the, some of the statements the movie makes, um, I could actually see happening in the future. You know, we may actually kind of have started to see it in certain regards. We, we've um, actually there's some things that I laid out that we'll get to later that we are seeing 100 percent right now that, mm -hmm. are, that are absolutely the like and it's and it's it's almost like you could almost say it's prophetic. Um, yeah, this movie like saw things. Paul Verhoeven and the screenwriter saw things coming, clearly coming from miles away, and of they lampoon it before it's it's it maybe in some ways it is much more relevant right now than it was in 1987. But of there's course. but there's still like the 80s in general. I, I think is like when we get when we get like it as a country is when we finally like become like a full fledged consumer uh, mm -hmm. culture. I think it's like it's really the 80s is really what kicks it off. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're a Madman fan. Obviously, it starts earlier than that. It starts in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> of course. But the amount of stuff that we're buying just to buy it, just because someone says we need it, it really crystallizes in the 1980s. And RoboCop mm -hmm. is a fantastic vehicle to push that message out. Of course, dude, definitely. Yeah, you bet. And, like, I, I love, like, all this stuff, even opening the movie with just, like, the commercials and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's good stuff, dude. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into this a little farther. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, and there's a, one of my favorite things um, that they – one of my favorite things that they make fun of that probably in 1987 wasn't that big of a deal yet. Um, you know, we had, we had, like, emerging cable companies and things, but, mm -hmm. like, TV wasn't the landscape that we think of as it now. And even – you know, even flash forward from like 1987 to 1997, um, TV changed a lot in like that 10 year period. Flash forward 20 more years to now, TV's very different. Um, they were making a statement about the 24 hour news cycle, right? In 1987, that like a lot of other, a lot of other, I mean, it was, it was coming around. Like it, it was finally coming to fruition that we we're going to have to fill 
more and more time on TV, but it wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. And like now that it's there now, like now that it's like we are stuck in that reality now in a very terrible way, probably. Yeah, and of they course. they call it out in, in, in 1987. They call it out. Mm-hmm. Definitely, dude. Yeah, you got that right. Um, so let's um, sticking with sticking with the um, you, you talked about like the hero's journey, the hero's quest. Um, let's kind of dive into that with um, with RoboCop with uh, with Alex Murphy's journey. Um, with Alex Mur- Alex Murphy's version of the hero's journey is what I'll say. Yeah, um, because I think in some ways it actually kind of upends the the typical hero's journey in like Star Wars or something. Okay. But I, I want to get your thoughts on on how Alex Murphy becomes RoboCop. Okay, well, I um, okay, starting off with um, you know, just him being like a normal guy and everything, and like there's still, you know, in a way they kind of plant this um, like he's got this yearning to be like this kind of hero that his son always wants him to be, mm-hmm. and because uh, his son is watching like Johnny Laser or something, and Johnny Laser does the cool gun flipping the, the, thing, the, yeah, and, the little gun twirl, yeah. right? So like it's, I feel that like they. I don't know. There's something about that. I think that um, the film really lays in there just really nicely. You know, like it's um, it's kind of one of those things that um, I don't know. It's supposed to like it's supposed to kind of like drive the story, but you don't necessarily reference it all the time. Like he just kind of says it like the one time in the beginning about his son and like, you know, asking like if he does all the stuff. So it's really like about him, like becoming this hero that his son like wants him to be and stuff. And he has to unfortunately be be like shot and killed and destroyed and then resurrected back to life in a mechanical form to do so. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's like that's what it's rooted in is about, you know, being kind of more than yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole everything with um, with taking down like the organized crime and OCP and Ed 209, those are the obstacles that are that is set before him in this world that he must overcome to become more than what he is, you know? Yeah, no, or more than what he, more than what he could be. Sorry. Right. More than a man. Whatever. Right. Right. And, and uh, dude, you're hundred percent right. And, um, it's, it's really interesting that they take, they take that part of the hero's journey. Um, if we were to take, gosh, you know, actually, I, he actually recently had a window open that had like sort of the, I think there's like 12 steps to, or maybe it's 10, um, like sort of steps to like the, the textbook hero's journey. Okay, and they they obviously they take they what they do in this movie is they take the latter half whether it's five or six um, steps they take the latter half and that's really like what most of the movie is is that latter half of him overcoming things, but mm-hmm. where it kind of upends it is that you're you, you hit you hit it right in the head. Alex Murphy wants to be the hero. He right. wants to like he's he's not working for the Detroit Police Department reluctantly. He's right. not taking on the dangerous jobs with his partner reluctantly. Like he wants to do this. Of course. Whereas more often than not, it's a, uh, you know, they, you, you have to go beg the, the, you know, the, I don't know, like the lone ninja in some fucking cave. You have to beg him to come out of retirement to to fight the Shogun or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. He was already there willing to do it, but he still has to go. Th- but you're right. He still has to go through the, like some kind of transformation. I forgot what it's called. But there's, you know, a period um, where there's the, there's like a, basically a change in the character. And obviously, mm-hmm. the change in the character is his entire body being blown apart by shotguns, yeah. um, which is one of the most ridiculous. Much of a change you can they can get a good that's a, a change, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, 
but yeah, so he still has to go through it, but in in many ways it was like it was almost it was almost like this is what he wanted. Mm-hmm. But obviously you could almost look at it like a um like a, like a genie situation, like a be careful what you wish for situation. Yeah. This is what he wished for. He just didn't realize like the the physical the physical and emotional toll that it was going to take to get where he needs to go. Of course. Yes, you bet, definitely. And like that's, you know, that is what makes the story like he can't get what he wants and have everything be okay. You know, he mm-hmm. has to have difficulties along the way and they give him a whole lot of um, obstacles to overcome. And like, I'm telling you, the movie's like not all that long. And he's really like, even like once he becomes RoboCop, they give him a whole lot of shit to, to yeah. overcome and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that those obstacles, like not only do they carry the movie and drive the story and give us like something to watch, but they also like really do a good job of, you know, like, and we're going to get into this question, like, you know, I think very, very shortly here, but it, it, it thickens the character. It adds some depth and kind of shapes them and rounds them to the point where the movie itself, like, um, I feel without such like, you know, such character development, it separates the movie from being worthy of cinema dissection to being a straight to DVD, you know, RoboCop like satire movie. You know what I'm saying? It, like it, this, is, this is RoboCop versus RoboCop Two. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I've RoboCop, RoboCop Two is a very yeah. straightforward action movie. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I, I've only seen it once, and I think it was a long time ago, and I knew it was it wasn't it's, anything it's not like good. original. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So like. Um, and you know, throughout the, the course of the, the episode, like I'm going to like references, like sprinkles of genius and everything. And that's like what, like some, that's like a big time sprinkle of genius is making this, uh, making this protagonist as well crafted as, as, as they did. Yeah, no, they, they really, they, they rounded out Alex Murphy in a very short amount of time mm-hmm. and they did a really good job of it. One, because I think. You want to talk about like one of my favorite underrated actors? Peter Weller is one of my favorite underrated actors. Um, oh, he's great in this movie. He's, he's great fantastic. in this movie. He's great a lot of things. He's great in Sons of Anarchy. He's like he's got a role in the show, like kind of as in the, like from the second half on, and he's fucking good in that show too. Yeah, he he was um, the original, and this me and makes perfect sense. The original um, RoboCop was supposed to be Schwarzenegger, um, but the the suit like just didn't. I mean, the suit just didn't fit him. Like yeah, I got gotcha. He couldn't physically move in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, they went down the list of some other people and it came to Peter Weller and I, like, and now like thinking back on it, I can't, I could not imagine anyone other than Peter Weller being RoboCop. Right. But like he does, I mean, he does a great job as Alex Murphy and he does a fantastic job as RoboCop. And, right. But they do a great job of, of rounding out, um, Karen Allen as his partner, um, gives, gives, uh, you know, the, the Alex Murphy and RoboCop two different characters weight, um, mm-hmm. They do a good job with like the backstory with his family, making sure that that has weight. Like they they do a great job of this, and and also and and to throw an OCP, they do a great job of like all these different forces kind of combining to to make what he is. Right, and it gives it gives all sorts of layers and nuance to what to what this character is. Right, and there's different forces at play here. There's different motivations at play, and you know, including his own. That like really, it, it this should. This really should just be like this. This should be like the the first movie. Realistically, should be like the second movie, in terms of just like when you put this, like if you're just putting this on paper, mm-hmm. it's just robots killing people. 
and an even right. killing criminals. That's what it, like it should feel like. But they did such a good job rounding out the character with. I don't want to say like minimal support. I mean, there's great support, but like they didn't have to like go into a whole bunch of stuff so that you know that Alex Murphy is yeah. a very interesting human being. Right. They they made them be- the best of the time that they were given yeah. because like aside from. Um, <clears throat> I think we get a little more development when it comes to Alex, Alex Murphy when he's actually in the Robo when he's actually RoboCop. Yes. Yeah. Because in the beginning, like you know, you're you're probably looking at and dude, like I I swear to God, like I feel that I'm on point with this estimate, but I think you're looking at about like three minutes of just like actual like him talking to somebody. Everything else is just you know like um uh maybe a little longer five minutes i'm sorry he said there's some more scenes that are popping up in my mind there's like just like five minutes maybe a grand total of like 40 lines or something where it's just like him kind of expressing who he is and getting into everything else is just action you know so they really make the best of what they can and like these like the 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 genius that's in this and like in some of the 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 writing and stuff like that it's it's almost kind of like when david when david bowie decides to be like a guest vocalist you know like Mm -hmm. it's just um something that um you know that that that's got a lot of like prestige and everything and uh, it almost kind of makes you wonder like like what these writers like what like what they're actually like capable of you know like mm-hmm. i don't know that's just the way that i think about it yeah no no absolutely it's i i you know it's just like i guess i guess this is part of like part of the perfectness of it um, that they they make do with what they can, knowing that they're knowing the, knowing that the mo- the majority of the movie is going to be this this robot essentially, the cyborg. Right. They do a good job of they do a good job of maximizing the time of Alex Murphy, giving giving Peter Weller like enough time to stretch his legs as Alex Murphy, so so the change to RoboCop is more notable, and then yeah. filling in those blanks whereas necessary when he is RoboCop. Of course, definitely, dude. Yes, you bet. Um, yeah, so let, let's go into that depth um, about you know about about the character of the characters of Alex Murphy and RoboCop. Um, they they bring in this is a really interesting element because it feels familiar now, and I'll, and I'll actually get to that when I answer this question. But I want to hear your answer first. Um, that he when he becomes RoboCop, he has, and this is what we're talking about. We get more backstory after the physical change. Mm-hmm. He has these dreams and memories of his of his old life. Um, you know, and they, they fill in a lot of stuff and, you know, like this is, again, this feels familiar now, but maybe 19, maybe 1987, not so much, but right. how do these storytelling devices like help define RoboCop? Okay. I think that they like, I think that it's, um, you know, like how we talk about like Adam Sandler and like, you know, him kind of playing to his strengths and some of the good movies that he's done, like Meyerwood stories, like they, they create the character like around him. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Meyerwood stories it's, it's, and anger management. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. They, they play to the strengths in this situation. This is like what I feel is like playing to the strengths of, of the rules of the story. So we as an audience get like we we get like a little bit about him when he's a human being but i feel that it works better if we get like if we get to have you know maybe some unanswered questions or like some unresolved feelings from his human life creep up when he's robocop you know something has to like seep through there's got to be some kind of like humanized element to him not only for the like just being in screenwriting one one to have to humanize like this robot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it also 
like it, it gives the um, it gives the story like the opportunity to, to to become richer. And when you're looking at the movie as a whole, you're not really invested in a lot of the other characters. Like you don't really need like Dick Jones. You know what I'm saying? We're not finding out about his abusive childhood. The, the, right. For the most part, when you when you bring up all the other characters other than Bob Morton, um, uh, played by the late, late, great Miguel Ferrer. Um, mm-hmm. other than Bob Morton, they don't really fill in, I mean, and Kurtwood Smith. Um, right. They don't really fill in anyone else, which is right. fine. Like you don't have to do that as long as your main characters are robust. Right. Exactly. But by filling in RoboCop and doing it the way that they did, um, I feel like that it gives like, you know, it gives the audience like, you know, to to it puts them in the position to be really, really behind the guy, you mm-hmm. know, and to, like to really, really root for the character. And it's one thing when you have to like already develop a relationship with a human being. But then you kind of also have to develop a relationship with the robot, too, you know, like and it's awesome that he's like a badass and that he's bulletproof and everything. But when you can't care, you can't have that go on for like an hour. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. going to get old. It's going to get repetitive. And like there's and I'm not going to lie, like as, as good of a job as they did, they are. It's kind of limited. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. like he's got his badass gun, like uh, and when he saves the girl from being raped and everything and like, you know, he shoots through her dress and shoots the dude in the dick and everything <laughs> like, you know, so like you're you're kind of pushing the limits of creativity, especially with technology. Like at that point in time, you know, you can't have him like throwing a super cover, like a manhole cover bouncing off 50 different things. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of just have to be aggressive fighter, really good shooter and bulletproof. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I feel like you can't have, you can't have him doing that the entire time. So he's gotta, he's gotta be given another conflict, another problem. And, it's good that he has one problem that's internal because what else is, cause everything that's going around with them, there's so much. And like, I feel that this movie's so well written that they probably could have added maybe one or two other external conflicts and everything would have been fine. Like it could have been anything from just like a, uh, like the Ed 209, like, you know, junior or something like that, that went haywire or like he can't drive the car, you know, whatever it possibly might be. But um, it's good that they countered all the external conflict with an internal conflict and the internal conflict of him trying to like cope and deal with like these human emotions that he's experiencing while he's a RoboCop. Yeah. And it's like, like I said, like, I feel like, when I was thinking about this question, it feels like a really common theme in, in sci-fi movies with people who are cyborgs or altered somehow or cloned <clears throat> or whatever it is. Actually, I watched uh, part of Oblivion today. Oh, the, nice. The Tom Cruise movie while I was, while I was dog sitting for my sister. Um, I watched part of Oblivion today. And, you know, that, that movie plays 100% on what Robocop is doing. Um, you, have, you have Jack Harper... <clears throat> you have the clone of Jack Harper reliving in this apparently in this movie clones retain the memories of their of their uh, you know in their DNA or something I guess I don't know it doesn't really matter yeah. um, but you know you have this clone coming to terms with these memories that he's having as dreams and everything else and it feels like a familiar trope but I don't know that in 1987 that was a familiar trope I gotcha um, yeah like I, I think at this like when you think of the notable 
robot movies, robot sci-fi <laughs> movies from the 80s and earlier, they're, I don't know how many exist before the 1980s necessarily, but like just thinking of like Terminator, it's just a killing machine. Like there is, mm-hmm. there is nothing, there is nothing human about Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in Terminator. It's a right. fucking killing machine. Right. Yeah, in dude, this I don't... Movie, uh, sorry, it, it just real quick. And in this movie, those, the way that they, the way that they incorporate those dreams, the memories and everything else, and it gives this robot pause, like this is, it, it, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this was like a new thing in these kind of, in these particular movies and in sci-fi to humanize what should be like an unstoppable killing machine. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude, I agree with you because I can't think of anything like maybe like short circuit movies or something. But it's got to be kids movies where like they right. humanize the robot like or right. the alien or something like that. But this has to be the first like real like example that I can that I can remember anyway, where they really like where they really put forth that effort of of humanizing like the robot machine main character, you know, mm-hmm. and. I, I also, to be honest with you, like, I can't remember too many Android main character movies prior to this. I know that they, they probably exist somewhere. I'm not like, I, dude, like there's crazy ass movies. You, that you know, you, you go back to the fifties. There's a whole bunch of these, like, there's a whole bunch of these sci-fi movies. Yeah, that's true. Robot yeah. Care, but they, but it's, that's a different time and it's different. Like it's, it's very, very different. Actually, we mentioned, I think we mentioned Leslie Nielsen in last week's episode. Did we not? We did, yes. And, like he was in one of those movies, and I can't remember which, what, it's, what it's called, but um, but like there was a bunch of those where like there was like sentient robots, but they mm-hmm. they were just like they 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 made no effort to really make them human. Like maybe the first effort to make one of those robots like humanish was um, the original Lost in Space TV show. Okay, but like a very tepid attempt. I got gotcha. you. This, this is a different thing. This is like. This is humanizing a robot that would go like the. I, I I really feel like this is like the first, maybe not the first, maybe the best instance of okay. this. And then you yeah. go forward and you think about like stuff like Iron Giant and mm-hmm. um, AI artificial intelligence. They're all taking cues from RoboCop. Like a hundred percent, they're taking cues from RoboCop. Right, of course. And like, dude, I really like how they um they use they use the memories and stuff like that and like it's kind of like it's kind of like pain for him you know what i'm saying that like it's just like something that um he it's his own life and he doesn't know how to deal with it you know right because you know another you you mentioned like the the internal um you know the internal struggle versus like all the external things that are happening and this is like where they collide where Mm -hmm. he is it's like his his human memories are you're right painful to him, right? And he probably would in the beginning would just rather be RoboCop, as opposed to Alex Murphy and RoboCop. Yes, and it's it's in maybe in some way it's OCP versus Alex Murphy at that point. Until, That's true. Until it becomes Alex Murphy and RoboCop are now one unit. That's very true. Ooh, man, that's deep. I really like that dude. That's so when good. I drink beer, man, I get smart. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's that was like on a whole other level. I'm on the other hand, I get really stupid, so the next little bit of time is going to be delightful for the audience. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm really, I can't wait until this goes downhill for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, me too, dude. It'll be pretty soon too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to feel it now. Uh, out of curiosity, what, what, uh, what drink slash beer are you on right now? Okay, I'm plowing my way through, and I'm almost done with it. Actually, a 32 ounce crowler of the peanut butter cup porter. Oof. Uh, 
Yeah. So like I am, uh, I'm almost done with that. And then I'm going to opt into the bonfire Brown. So I'm probably in my last like couple sips of this because like there's like, you know, I got like probably a half a solo cup, but I'm not going to push this. So I'm not going to push it on that. Nice. Then, then it's off to the bonfire Brown and then I'm getting into, uh, some of the IPAs and believe me, I have a fuckload of stuff on reserve just in case I need it. <laughs> there you go. Actually, I, was, I meant to ask that before. What are you, what are you drinking out of? Oh, um, right now I'm drinking out of a red solo cup, and then I'll be drinking out of a bottle, and then cans. Toby Keith would be very proud of the red solo cup. You fucking bet he would, dude. I'm very happy about this decision. And that fucking peanut butter and uh, cup porter was delicious, I might add. like That sounds really good. That sounds really good. Yeah, you know, they've had this beer for years, too. Like, this Willoughby Brewing, Brewing Company thing, this has been around for, like, a while. And um, this peanut butter cup thing, they've had for years, dude. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... I mean, you know, a porter. I mean, it's a meal, <laughs> um, right? Like it's it's heavy, but like that's like when I when I do drink heavy beers, porter stouts, whatever, I I want them to be as flavorful and like as delicious as possible. Yeah, if, if yeah, I'm gonna if bet. I'm gonna chew through my beer, I want to chew through something good. Right. And yeah, and like, dude, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm probably not gonna eat any food later. Like, I'm probably just gonna go right into basketball in the morning. So, like, having like a heavier beer is something that's definitely suiting me right now. There you go. And like, yeah, the fact that it's 5.5% for going through 32 ounces of it, I, uh, I am feeling like really good. You know, like if that was 32 ounces of a 7.5 IPA, we'd be in a little bit of a different situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually one of the things that I look for now too. Like I bought a, um, I have a, I have a friend from college. Sorry. I'm like leaning away from the microphone as I grab another beer. Um, I have a friend from college, this dude, Ben, who... He has. I know he has. A, I know he has. Like I think he has two jobs, and one of those jobs, he's like in um, in promotions for Ballast Point Beer. Oh yeah, Ballast yeah. Point Brewery. Mm-hmm. And he and he works down in like uh, I think he lives in South Carolina now. And um, he, um, you know, he like he'll shoot me some beer recommendations every now and then. And I bought one. I can't remember exactly the name of it. It was a delicious beer. Okay. But it was like 4.1 ABV, and like I crushed a six pack, and I was just like, "Okay, like is yeah, like I could go drive on the highway right now. Like this is like right. this just oh, isn't yeah. enough." And like now right. I, I look for like the uh, the light keeper that I was drinking. I think it's let me find it six point six, and the Chinook Strike. I think it's just like six even. Like I'm yeah. looking for like it, there's got to be at least like a five on there. Yeah, no, dude, I totally got you. I'm ever since um, this craft brew thing came along, like my days of drinking, if I'm drinking like 3% alcohol, it's because it's the cheap beer on draft and like some kind of thing that I could just easily access, you know? Right. But uh, if I'm, if I'm buying it for like, you know, the home consumption or whatever, like I want it to be rich. I want it to be flavorful. I want it to have like, you know, I have, dude, I have like a fucking like 8.8% beer in there. I have like a Star Wars beer from the North High Brewing Company and like, Dude, the, the, that that's what I'm looking for, you know, especially when I don't have to work the next day. Yeah, the, the one of the one of the worst, like I love I love when when these breweries can kind of like push the envelope in their alcohol content. Mm-hmm. Um, but like one of the worst things I've ever had is from a brewery that I really like from uh, this brewery Six Point. Um, I think what is it called? I think it's just called Resin. Okay. Oh it, man, it's, yeah. It's a double. Other. It's a double IPA. It's a double IPA and its alcohol content's like eleven point three or something. Ooh, it is. It is a. It's a hard drink. Yeah, like I mean, it's hard to drink. Right. And I had like 
like one night I had like um I started off with like a uh, with like a whiskey and uh, whiskey ginger or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I had like two of these and I was fucking drunk. I mean yeah. I was drunk as shit. Oh dude. And it yes. wasn't a good drunk either. Yeah. You know something like it's funny you mentioned that it not being a good drunk because there's this like Sam Adams video that I keep seeing on Facebook for like their really expensive beer that's you know like two hundred and fifty bucks a bottle or something. Yeah. And like it doesn't even look good. It looks like you're drinking motor oil. Like it, <laughs> like that's seriously what it fucking looks like. Yeah. And I, I, I'm telling you, like, I, I know at some point in time I'm going to have some of these higher concentrated. Like, they sell them in, in the, the stores and everything. Mm-hmm. I just, like, you know, I'm not – I'm just not buying it. Like, spending twelve ninety nine on a bottle of beer. Right. But um, when I see this, like, it just it, – it doesn't look good to me. You know what I'm saying? It almost looks like cognac. And for some reason, I don't think cognac looks, like, uh, appear, uh, appealing to me in appearance. No, like, when I, when I pour out an IPA, like, I'm, I just poured out another uh, Chinook. I'm going to have to get one here, another beer here in a minute, but it, it's, I mean, it's like, it's fairly dark. Um, not like super dark or anything, but I remember like pouring that resin out, resin out into, into a clear, into a clear mug. It was so fucking dark. I'm like, holy shit, this doesn't, this looks ominous. Like, yeah, that, I know. Like, it looks ominous. Right. Like, like it's daring me to drink it. Yeah, doesn't it? It's almost <laughs> like, yeah, dude, you, you don't have the balls to put this in your mouth. Like, yeah, I'm too dark. I look way too thick for you, mm-hmm. pussy. You know? Oh, dude, and I'm, and I can't even imagine how many calories was in. Not that I really care what I'm drinking, but like I can't imagine how many calories was in that beer to to get it up to eleven point. Like, just basically, like the the more generally speaking, the more the more the more alcohol, the higher the alcohol content, you're gonna have. Unless you want it to taste just like alcohol, you're gonna have more right. calories in it. Yeah. Uh, so. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine what was in, like, those two cans that I drank. It's it's probably, like, drinking, like, two or three, like, Red Bulls calorie-wise. Yeah, no, dude, no, dude, you're, you're 100% right. You're drinking maple syrup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you want to take a quick break? Oh, yeah, yeah, you bet. Like, give me a chance to get another beer, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right, Chimba, let's, um, let's move on to, like, one of the signature signature portions or pieces of this movie, uh, the bad guys. Oh, yeah. Um, amongst them, uh, amongst them, obviously, uh, Clarence... You have Dick Jones, uh, ED nine, ED two oh nine. I I I guess like Bob Morton is kind of a bad guy, but not a bad guy. He's um, like the Peter Baelish of the movie. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of funny. They um, I, I know they when they originally wrote that part um, for Bob Morton, he was supposed to be all bad, and then Miguel Ferrer, who's who was a fantastic actor, um, mm-hmm. it, and also George Clooney's uh, cousin, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, George Clooney's cousin. Miguel Ferrero was awesome in Blank Check. He was great yeah. in that movie. Miguel Ferrero, he's a fa- he was a very a very underrated actor. Always, always gave a good performance in a character role, um, and especially in this movie. And actually, when they when they screen tested uh, Miguel Ferrero for the for the role of Bob Morton, they knew right away like, oh, he's too good. People yeah. are going to like him too much, so they kind of wrote him to be the I guess the conflicted OCP executive. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, so like, and, and and actually like his like in screen testing his death, um, like the the audience like definitely like mourned his death in in okay. like the early screen tests, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, um, gotcha. but for sure, we'll start off with um, we'll start off with Kurtwood Smith's Clarence Clarence Boddicker. Um Kurtwood Smith. This is this is this is real name. Um, yeah. in, in a town of of people with fake names, Kurtwood Smith is his real name. And his mom just liked the name Kurt, but thought it would sound better with wood at the end. 
No shit. That's it. And he's, really? he's fairly certain he's the only Kurt, he's from like Wisconsin, I think. He's fairly certain he's the only Kurt Wood in the entire state of Wisconsin. Wow, I'm telling you, that is impressive. I did not know that at all. That and <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's you know, like wow, that's his real fucking name. Wow. Yeah, it, it just it sounds it sounds like one of those names that just like his real name is Curtis. And he thought when he got to Hollywood, well, I got to spice it up a little bit. Got to got to be Kurtwood. No, right. it, yeah. Kurtwood Smith is his name. It kind of sounds like a porn star name. It does, actually. A, little, it does a little bit. It really but, does. But Kurtwood Smith, the the lead bad guy. Um, just your your thoughts on on Red Foreman as, as maybe one yeah. of the most brutal villains in the history of movies. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. So it's almost like if that '70s show was on HBO, this is how Red Foreman would be. And he fucking was like just a commanding goddamn presence. And he he has that voice too, that kind of you know, that voice yes. that kind of sounds like this. And um the fact that his voice is distinct and that the voice is also paired with this I don't know, he's he's gotta have been balding for like forty years now. I mean like so I'm, I mean I'm his, guessing he was born or well, of course he was born bald, more than likely, but I mean like yeah, it feels like he was balding when he was like five years old. Yeah, and like his hair, it's like that. I don't know, man. That like it's like the Alamo. It's just fighting to the way, way end. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just hanging on for dear life. But um, so he's got this like you know the, like the '80s balding kind of thing or whatever. And he, what's nuts is like he himself. It's not like he's like a six foot five muscular dude or whatever. But he makes up for it in, like, this sheer madness, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, you even see, like, one of the first early encounters when they're um, driving in the, the, the getaway, like, box truck and Murphy and um, and the, the partner are chasing him. And, you know, he just throws the guy out the window and stuff, you right. know? There's there's a certain kind of thing that, like, really sticks with you when, like, there's – when the characters are more madness-driven than big, bulky, beater-upper guys, you know? Right, right. But he was still in this – for like the the hierarchy sake, he was the muscle bad guy. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? He was like the um, uh, he would be like the the bane in Dark Knight yeah. Rises or whatever. Right. Oh yeah. Right. But uh, so I really really fucking like that. And there are times where like you're you're watching a movie and you're like, where the fuck did this come from? You know, like I, we, uh, Jess and I we went to see Itania and we I've watched it again a couple of times since and like Sebastian Stan, the guy who's the winter soldier from the Marvel movies mm-hmm. is Jeff Galuli. It's fucking awesome. It's like where the hell did this come from, you guys? Like w- were you just like on coke the whole time? Is this like your fucking Cujo? Like I mean, what's going on here? No, dude, it, it, it's I think it's because this is one of those I, I, I'm going to bring up Leslie Nielsen again. Um, because like our, our generation's experience with Leslie Nielsen is this like comedy, this quirky, like comedy guy. Right. That like, that we like kind of forget, like we don't remember any of his films from like the fifties and sixties where it was like serious stuff before he ends up hooking up with, with Zaz, with Zucker, Abram Zucker and doing police squad and airplane and all those movies. Right. And like, we forget that like, you know, at some point in time, these guys start off differently and um Kurtwood Smith's early career I was actually looking this up because I wanted because it was funny because I'm like you know I really don't know what Kurtwood Smith has done other than you know recent stuff Robocop and you know obviously um that 70s show like I don't know what else he's done right and I went back and like looking looking through some so there's some old roles um he was like the Federation president in one of the Star Trek movies 
um, like, I don't want to say, like, serious roles, but, like, roles that were not Red Foreman. You know, right, like, they just were not Red Foreman. And it, it's just, like, it's it's just so funny, like, that this horrifically murderous guy, and you're right, like, it's the voice, it's such a distinct voice. It, I would, and be, I think it's just because, again, Red Foreman is shading my view of it. It's like a dad voice. Right. It's like, it's very authoritarian and absolute. And in RoboCop, it's Ethereum, uh, excuse me, uh, authoritarian, absolute, and fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Like, there is insanity in everything that he says. Right. Es- especially, like, you know, before the first time he gets, like, before, like, he gets arrested by RoboCop. Like, he is clearly unhinged. And it's just, like... I, I don't know exactly know how to say it or how to articulate it, but it's just like there is there is like this mania that he's that he is like feeding on right. that is it's like subtle, but it's perfect for this role. Like it's just yeah. it's, it's not like he's not like crazy over the top. He's crazy in a very very subtle, perfect way. Yeah, exactly. That's that's right. Yes, you bet. And like it, it almost kind of feels like. Um, if he if he was over the top, like even if they would have given him like a brightly colored futuristic suit to wear, you right. know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and granted, he does rock some pretty badass futuristic '80s suits in this movie, dude. I'm <laughs> telling you, the pants on those things, watch the whole and the whole fucking shirt with like no folding collar, like, whew, the guy's got style. But um, like the um, but that's that's the kind of thing. It's like he almost seems like it almost kind of looks like he's like a um, like a candle just kind of burning in whatever situation it's in you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. you could spot it out and it's something that you're going to like keep your eyes on you know and yeah. it just happens to be a, a maniacal crazy fucking candle like, and stuff and yeah oh no i was gonna say like he could this could have been he could have played this way over the top mm-hmm. and it would have been too much Right. He plays it up to exactly where he needs to play it to. Right. Oh, yeah. And let me give you a great example. Like, take the whole thing with him, like, aiming the gun and stuff that he does Mm -hmm. in his little, like, you know. Okay, it's like, it's comical. It's also pretty dark and twisted at the same time. But it's not too much. But it's not too much. But, right, it's not too much. Exactly. And, like. I'm I'm going to push for an extreme example here because like I this the alcohol talking and stuff, but like <laughs> you know I'm not saying that his performance is anywhere on par with the performance I'm about to mention, but like it's very similar to like what Heath Ledger did with the Joker. That, that was stuff. the f- is, uh, Ch- Chema, yeah. That was the first thing I thought of. Okay, thank God. Okay, thank God. Because so like that's that's like that's when when we talk about like. Being in, like, a perfect state of harmony. It's almost like the first five seconds of Bohemian Rhapsody, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. or the first 20 seconds of Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, to be in that level of harmony and stuff, you have to, you have to, like, push it to a certain extreme, but you can't be over the top. So you almost have to hit it, like, absolutely perfectly. And um, my default reference is always Heath Ledger being the Joker and stuff. And believe me, if there's anybody out there, like... Give me another yeah. example, but that's where I <laughs> right. always go. Right, right, absolutely. Um, I, I would, I would also say, um, I would also say, um, oh god, damn it, uh, Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Yeah, yes, as, as being right. as being comedic, comedic foil and and kind of a goofball, but not too comedicy, not too goofbally. 
Right. Yes. You bet. And even like, I'll tell you like Goodfellas, um, my, it's amazing. Like, I, I'm just going to bring this up really quick, but like when it comes to the writing in Goodfellas, when, when you first start watching Goodfellas and you first start to absorb Goodfellas and, and realize how great it is, like you, you kind of start to view it as a flawless movie. And mm-hmm. like over time, I'm not like shitting on, I like, I still feel that Goodfellas is great. You find but there stuff. Are, you find a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah. There are times like when it comes to Joe Pesci's character and like the, the comedic over the top kind of thing, I feel that there are about two or three scenes that run a little bit too wordy yeah. in the dialogue. Yep, you know sure. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like if I was going to, if I was going to put like what I think to be like, I, I think Joe Pesci and casino for argument's sake okay. might end up being the definitive example. Just because like, just because it, I, I happen to prefer casino to Goodfellas too. A lot, a lot of like, people do. And I understand completely. Why. Yeah. Yeah, like it's just like it's the end of his trilogy and stuff like that and his gangster trilogy and like that it's so casinos like so like when he's when he's like trying to be be funny and stuff um like he reaches that harmony in casino i almost feel that goodfellas is like a warm-up for casino mm-hmm. is like reservoir dogs is a warm-up for pulp fiction or whatever yep. you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying like and uh I'm like I'm not like hating on his performance in Goodfellas because my God, it's fucking memorable. But like, it's he, weird I mean, that feel like he was nominated for supporting actor, was he not? Yeah, he was. Yes, yeah, he yeah. totally fucking was, and 100 percent deserving of it. And um, there are just like it's weird that like over the course of my life of seeing those two movies and Good, Goodfellas and Casino are only like five or six years apart, you know, which yeah. is crazy because Mean Streets is like 20 years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, or 40 years ago, but um. I whenever I watch Casino, like I don't have those same things where I'm like, man, doesn't that just seem? Doesn't it just seem like a little yeah. too? No, I, I know what you mean. Here? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but, but good, Goodfellas is fucking, it's fucking great. And I'm telling you, what they, what Goodfellas gets out of the, the supporting cast, that's just like it's almost like you, it's like Jed Clampett shooting at fucking food and striking oil. You know, like getting that <laughs> out of, getting that out of Pulsar Vino and like. That out of fucking um, the guy who played Maury and shit like mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's just like whatever, like um, that's just like stumbling into like just like a Scrooge McDuck fucking bank full of money and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and, it, and it's it's fun just to bring this back to RoboCop before we get like too far off track. Oh yeah, I forgot we we're doing RoboCop. That's right. <laughs> before we get too far off track, no, it, it like I really can't imagine, um, just like thinking of other actors at that point, that, you know, in the late eighties, mid eighties that could have played this Clarence Boddicker role. I really can't imagine that anyone would have done it better. Like, I just right. I can't pinpoint a single guy. Like, you know, like, I, I suppose, like, at that point in time, if you're, like, if you're, like, um, if you're the screenwriter, like, or, you know, trying to, like, figure out your perfect villain, maybe you want Robert De Niro as, yeah. as that villain. I don't know that Robert De Niro would have done a better job at no. doing this. Dude. You want to know what you want to know what it's like, like when you look at Kerwood Smith's like filmography as a whole and stuff, and you're like, wow, you were the bad guy in RoboCop. It's like, I don't know, it, it's something like crazy about it. Like no one else could have done it. Like when you look at like Malcolm McDowell's filmography, like, the, and you're like, wow, you were Alexander in A Clockwork Orange. Like mm-hmm. holy shit, like the guy from Entourage was a dude in A Clockwork Orange. Like there's just like these certain people that just are perfectly fit into these roles, you know. And yeah. with Ro- RoboCop is only going to become more and more historic and stuff like that. I mean, I don't see this movie, like this movie could easily in 20 years become like the Toto's Africa and stuff like that, where it's just like a, <laughs> yeah. a talked about thing on the internet. And believe me, the internet does carry this movie into conversation. Oh, it does. Often. It like, does. It really it, does. It, it, it's crazy how like maybe once or twice a year, you 
scroll through your Facebook feed and all of a sudden just things become like RoboCop. They're just like, oh, America's becoming RoboCop or something. Because, again, this is one of those things. There is genius carries across time periods. And I think I think I told you I think I told you off air to watch that um, that Electric Dreams on, yeah, on Amazon. You're right. I don't know if you have you have you ended up watching it yet. I'm I'm just started the expanse. Okay. I did 20 minutes of Electric Dreams, but I was but I was drunk. Okay, um, there's a, a couple episodes in particular. Like Electric Dreams is, I would say on the whole, it's good. There's a mm-hmm. couple of bad. I mean, there's a couple of bad episodes. Yeah, for sure. I got you. There's a couple of bad episodes, but there's one episode in particular. It's called Autofac. and this, mind you, I, I feel like this was taken from a story from uh, from like 1956. And it fits in perfectly right now. They didn't change much um, to, mm-hmm. to, to bring this story to uh, to a television format, and it fits in perfectly right now. That is just that's genius. Genius yeah. travels across time. It doesn't matter when you when you strike a good story, a good idea. It travels across time. It doesn't matter. And there's genius things in RoboCop that travel across yeah. time. Exactly. Yeah, no, dude, you're 100 percent right on that, dude. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to get into more yeah. of this stuff later. Do you want to do you want to take our first official breaking the seal break? Uh, yeah, actually, I could totally piss for sure. That there sounds like go. a good idea. <laughs> yeah, you, go. you bet. We'll be right back. All right, sorry about that, folks. Uh, again, this is a drinking episode, and as you drink, you break the seal. We've we've yeah. been we've all been there before. Yeah, nature called and we answered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Kurt, so we agree, Kurtwood Smith. Maybe almost like too perfect for this role. Like, I just couldn't imagine anyone else. But there were a bevy of other villains. Um, I, th- I think we'll start with uh, we'll start with Ed two oh nine, the the original. Uh, I guess not the original, but one of the prototype RoboCops, if you will. Uh, just mm-hmm. basically a gun turret on legs. Right. <laughs> um, what do you What do you think Ed two oh nine is like representative of? Because I'm sure there's a message there. Okay. I, I think that he's like a representative, like the over aggressive police officer, and I I I know that this is like 1987. So let's just say like the, the script is being written in like 84, 85. Like I I personally am not aware of any like major police injustice story. I guarantee they, they, they well, I, I guarantee they were around back then. No, but it, I just, it happened. It just didn't get coverage. Yeah, so, yeah something like so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like maybe he's like a representative of like the over aggressive cop and stuff, and um, I, I feel that like where he is is just like the three or four scenes that he's in total, mm-hmm. is the perfect use of it. Yes, of course that thing is going to be the one that messes up because you have to have like there has to be something in the beginning that goes wrong. You know, it can't mm-hmm. just be we're just pitching RoboCop. You know what I'm saying? Like because once again, sprinkle of genius, something else has to like. OCP has to fail in the beginning. You right. know what I'm saying? They have to. They have to have obstacles. Like it's just there's just so fucking much going on in this movie. It's just, it just boggles my goddamn mind. <laughs> right. But um, so like with Ed 209, so like there's there's something about him. Like he barks and everything. You know, like that's his primary like communication thing in this dark pop or this deep, powerful, commanding voice and stuff. And then he's got, then he's got like you're right these just big like two smoking gun barrel arms and everything and like you know this kind of like shark like appearance to himself and stuff and I'll, I'll tell you like I got to ask you this because like this is the only way I'm going to be able to work this into the conversation now but do you think that there's any like significance behind him just falling downstairs ending up on his back and crying is it his end like, yes. do you think that there's something behind that yes I do actually. Um... You're right. I think I think just to agree with your first point quickly, 
um, that uh, ED209 was 100% supposed to be a, a representative of. I, I mean, now we would call it like police injustice, um, but you know, back in 19, back in the mid 1980s, it would have just been like an aggressive cop, right. and. The aggressive cops like that that trope goes back a long long time in, in any kind of like medium right um so like for sure he's representing that he's overkill he's 1000 percent overkill he has two fucking like 50 cal automatic weapons strapped to his sides basically right 20 seconds to comply right exactly that that's that's overkill um, right. So, like, for sure, you're 100 percent right that it, it, it's it's the it's right now, like when we all these cop stories um, with cops shooting and killing. Um, I don't, I'm not going to get too political, but generally yeah, shooting he, and killing unarmed uh, African-American uh, males. Right. This is what he's supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. He is also supposed to represent. And this is what I was thinking about, like when he basically just meets his doom down down some steps. He's also supposed to represent corporate negligence and incompetence. Oh wow! Okay, that he, it's like there's something that works, and it's like the, I mean, like imagine you see this like eight foot, walking turret, point its mm-hmm. guns at you, like it's intimidating, right? Right. I mean, yeah. it, it it would serve a purpose. Of course, it can't do steps because they didn't fucking think about it. Yeah, and god damn, you are it, so. Smart. They didn't do enough testing, and they didn't care to do enough testing because this corporation OCP does not give a shit. About right. their failures because they don't. It doesn't matter if they fail or not. Wow, God damn, you were right on the alcohol bringing out your intelligence, man. Because that's <laughs> no, that's really smart. And like that, you know something like what you just said right there. Like that makes me wonder if that's what they thought the whole time. I, you know, I, or, I would almost guess that. I almost guess that that's where they're that this, that's what they were thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because like God, because like I'm telling you, that's like that. That's really really good. And no, I totally see that for sure. And like. I um after you know I've seen the movie like you know a couple times like throughout my youth and like stonerhood and twenties and everything like that but as far as my thirties go, um watching it you know like as I did this past like you know week was like the only time I had seen it and I'm like I just want there's there has to be some kind of significance to that because that that almost seems like too smart for like a movie called RoboCop you know what right. I'm saying if you if right. you were on the out if you were on the outside looking in and then like. Um, like seeing, oh my God, this movie's called RoboCop. Oh my God, it's not called Shadows of an Intimate Woman or whatever. Like, you know, and it's, uh, um, once again, like we talk, I'll say it again, sprinkle of genius. That should be like the drinking phrase, like sprinkle of genius, which I'll take a drink to that right now. But, um, (laughs) but, uh, like that, it, that right there says, it says so much without saying anything at all. And what's really crazy about it is that the, secondary antagonist because i'm i'm under the impression that ocp is the main umbrella antagonist in the in the movie yes yes i would i would agree the, the secondary antagonist poses the biggest like physical challenge you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. ed, ed 209 this thing that clearly overmatches him just falls on some stairs and whines and cries. The, the whining and crying, I think, is just another excellent, de- another excellent detail. But it was even crazier is that the head honcho, just this old guy, is the easiest one to fall, you know? And I, I, I can't decide, and this also, like, when, when we're talking like screenwriting mechanics and geniuses, genius behind screenwriting mechanics, um, I think that it comes down to two things. Like, 
number one, like this old guy clearly doesn't stand a chance against RoboCop. Like even in his most defeated state, RoboCop is going to take out this old fucking piece of shit. Okay. But, um, as far as like actually just ending the movie goes, when it comes to like, okay, we need another, we're at page 89. How do we get to 91? Like this is, you know, all right, let's just have him interrupt a meeting and, uh, throw him out of a building or something like that. Or does Yeah. It's not what happens. Yeah. Punches him out of the window. Yeah, punches him, sorry, out the window. Punches, shoots him out of the window. Shoots him out of the window. Shoots him out the window, yeah. Which Just is this almost like the very yeah. first scene when ED-209 right. kills the other executive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kills oh, him by, out of the... By the way, quick, before we get to it, quick beer, quick alcohol count, or where, where are you at? I am at, um, uh, I'm at about five. I'm, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of six. I am at, hold on, drunk, can't count. I'm at, I'm, this is my sixth right now. Um, I'm on the I'm on the lighthouse. What are, what are you drinking again? Uh, right now I'm at uh, the Brick and Barrel Bitter Chief. Right. So I plowed through the rounding third, the um, a good amount of the can of the the Willoughby peanut butter cup thing, and then I uh, did the uh, Saga Tuck Bonfire Brown. Nice, nice. Oh, and and just to, to I, I take pictures of it all the time on Instagram, but I am drinking out of one of my skull mugs. Oh, very nice. Because this is I have I have a weird fascination <laughs> with the human skull. We could get into it in some other podcast, um, but drinking out of my one of my skull mugs, and it makes everything very delicious. Hell yeah, dude! Very nice. Anyway, sorry, very conti- very nice. Continue with Dick Jones. Oh, so just like yeah, like it, it almost like seems like yeah, like okay, so like he, you know, he's just the guy. He's the money. He's the figurehead, and like he has to see his demise too. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like we we got the the, the muscle bad guy. We defeated the. Um, uh, the gatekeeper to the evil corporation in Ed Two Hundred Nine. Now we actually have to put the, the 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 evil corporation out. And like, I even love how there's just this like random African American board member who yes. just seems to yes. his he opinion seems he loves his it. opinion his opinion seems to be so easily changed. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, it's just like a couple head nods, and he's just like, oh man, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then he's just like so overjoyed that the guy like fell out the window. It's like, yeah, that, that, that totally was right, bro. Yeah, do you have but, any more weed? Dude, I, I love I love that part. Um, I, I love the boardroom scenes in general. They're just they're fucking they're great. But mm-hmm. uh, the guy that plays Dick Jones, Ronnie Cox, is he always plays assholes? And I gotcha. I, I mean, like he, he was he was on um, two or three episodes of Star Trek as. A uh, Star Trek Next Generation as a uh, as an admiral. Okay, he's a fucking asshole. Okay. Everything that I've ever seen Ronnie Cox in, he's a fucking asshole. He looks like an asshole. He sounds like an asshole. He walks like an asshole. Tough. He I, I, like he is. You want to talk about typecasting? You want to? Fu- I mean, I don't know if Ronnie Cox is still alive. I'm assuming he is. He's not that. Old. He wasn't that old in that movie. He just like looks old. Um. If you like, this is typecasting to like the nth degree. Ronnie Cox looks looks like an asshole, so he just gets cast as assholes over and over again. Right, and of course. You know what? Why not? If you if you want the asshole, get the guy who's like the professional asshole. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. get him right. to play. And I love. First off, just to go back to like, I, I know we've talked about it before, and how like sometimes like giving characters certain names, like if it's too heavy handed, it's a bad idea. Like yeah, if you have a, if you have a hero the same like Virtue Jones, yeah yeah you're right. Like, yes. Oh, yes. he's mm-hmm. a clearly this is a good guy. Oh my god, yeah, he's our Virtue. Yeah. yeah, Dick Jones. He is 
Dick, he's a dick. And mm-hmm. also just the name Dick Jones is like the most nondescript company name you could think of. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. actually think this is – no, I don't want to say it's genius. I just want to say it's clever to give yeah. him the name Dick Jones. Dick and then Jones, it's nondescript but also very, very succinct. It, it almost sounds like the leader of a corporation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. There's like, and I think of Jerry Jones for some reason. Uh-huh. Like, you know, obviously, like just well, Jones. Well, because he's and, a dick. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So like, <laughs> they kind of look alike. Like I'm, a, you know, like I just kind of see like yeah, actually they this, do look a little bit alike. Yeah, dude. Like this character is just him without the southern accent, you know. And yeah. obviously the last name is Jones, so believe me, I know the connection is rather like simple, but still, you know, not everything with me has to be a deep. Has to be deep. <laughs> right. No, but it, and it's and actually, what's even what's even greater about uh, Dick Jones being killed is that he's actually OCP number two. Right. He's not OCP number one, mm-hmm. which is you know I don't want again. This isn't this isn't oh, like yeah. super deep thoughts, but. The corporation is still going to win and continue because mm-hmm. the number one was not killed. The number two was. Right. And the number one is the oldest guy in the room. Yeah, right. I can't remember that actor's name. Yeah. And he's been so, a lot of stuff. So, so you're meaning to fucking tell me that OCP has the human change of heart fucking storyline here. Like they're the, they're the corporation that sees the light and like, you know, like cause that, that guy was clearly conflicted about the Ed 209 thing. You know, he, was, he seemed rather indifferent throughout the course of the movie. So. In the fucking writing, they somehow managed to make the corporation have the human fucking change of heart storyline. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, like how- you know what I, I, I don't want to. You're right, but I think it's. I don't think it's a change of heart. It's finally um, their their idiocy awakening. An awakening. Yeah, it came. It finally came to their doorstep. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's right. So they have the fucking Sofia Coppola indie flick uh, movie about awakening storyline. Isn't that just fucking amazing? <laughs> I know it's fucking genius. The it, corporation has that. It, it's seriously. It's it is it is low key genius that that at the very end, like this this shitstorm finally came to their doorstep, and the the number one in charge goes, "I know I know a way out of this." <laughs> right. I'm going to fire my number two, and now uh, RoboCop can override his safety protocols. Right, exactly. It's perfect. Yeah, it's uh, goddamn. It's just like when fucking Darth Vader decided to kill the Emperor and yep. call him. Speaking of OCP, um, is OCP like the? I, I, actually, we we asked this question before, um, in our Alien episode. When yeah, we talked about, about we yeah. talked about Whalen Utani. <laughs> yeah. Is OCP like the the like as evil as we think they are? Okay, like it's it's one of these kind of things where like I think that like Whalen Utani was definitely like that's evil as is as hell. You know what I'm saying? Like that that's like some stone. It, uh, it stone feels it feels like Whalen Utani is purposely well, no, we know they're purposely sending people to be yeah. killed by the right. alien. Right, exactly. It's all about getting this alien species to build it into a weapon that I'm sure will later backfire on humanity yeah. and everything. It, and, I, and one of these, one of these movie, alien movies. Hopefully, they, they do this with the show. Is like, yes, Whalen Utani got the alien, and this is what happened. You know, so all the people, like all the scribes that have been secretly listening in on the show, for the people that are doing the alien, um, alien TV show, which I think is going to air on Amazon, if I'm not mistaken, um, or maybe. I don't know. I have to look that up. Yeah, yeah, but like whatever station you're going to get it, this is the way you want to go. Whalen Utani got the alien. Okay, somehow they got it, and um, 
what the show is going to focus on is the alien infecting planet Earth. So it's like the strain, and it's this is the way you want to go with it. This is the pretty much the only original like path that's left to go in the system, and I'm sure somebody else has thought about that. But for all the people that do listen in on the show, there's one on us. Mm. <laughs> but but by the way, people, uh, Chum and I, we were discussing the other day. Um, wait, what did I send you? Uh, you sent me um, uh, Alter Carbon. Alter Carbon. Um, so the, the next season of Alter Carbon is going to cast Anthony Mackie in the role of uh, Joel Kinnaman. And if you're unaware of who these two actors are, one is uh, white and from Denmark, and Anthony Mackie's black and from America. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're going with like what we kind of thought would be a good idea for the next season to totally completely like basically wipe the slate clean new cast yeah with this with obviously with the the sing the singular holdover character but with with a new person playing him Mm -hmm. and it went with it and chem and i are now fairly convinced that there's like some like small time small time like writer working for not even a writer probably some like scripts i don't know like script doctor person um just listening to our podcast and taking all of our good ideas oh yeah (laughs) Because I, I think there's been a couple other things too, like that we've called, like just throughout the course of the podcast and stuff. And um, whether some of them be fairly obvious or not, still there, it's all connections and everything. Absolutely. And, yeah, we're, we got I mean, some. We're, say, right. we're, we're yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we we got some Nostradamus shit going on here. Believe me. I feel, I I honestly feel like we, I'd have to go back and listen to this one again. I honestly feel like I'm either you or I mentioned that Halo would be a good TV show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. And yeah, of course, were... it becomes a. Of course, that we finally break down the wall of like literally, now working on fifteen years of trying to get this thing made into something, other than you know other than a video game and some like short animes and and other right. stuff. Finally, like we're getting like a full Halo treatment, and it's a TV show. And I feel like one of us said that. Yeah. Oh, dude. I believe we've gotten into a Halo TV show idea before. Yeah. You yeah. bet. Yeah. No. I. Somebody out there is somebody out there is listening. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's like I I don't upon reflection I don't feel that OCP, uh, which by the way, Omni Consumer Products, um, yes. which means everywhere consumer products. Um, I don't feel like they're the I don't feel like they're evil. I actually feel like they were written as being um, almost neutral, but okay. but. In their like sort of neutral, like I don't want to say neutral. They're written as seeking profit. Okay, gotcha. Um, that's why they've bought up, and I'm, actually we're going to get to this in the next question. That's why they've bought up a whole bunch of stuff in Detroit, is to control every means of profit, and mm-hmm. they don't care. Like it's not that they're evil; they just don't care about the ramifications of what of what it takes to get to profit. Right. It's like they're the. Um, it's like they are a company that is. Like just all about profit, and the people that own the company, they're the ba- they're the that run stuff. That they're the bad people. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like yeah, I so, mean, there's there's evil, if you will, at heart, but right. the decisions aren't necessarily like to fuck people over. Whereas when just and I brought up Whalen Utani for that reason. Whalen Utani is purposely in in not in every single Alien movie, but in a couple of them, they are purposely sending people to die. Right to get the alien yeah. back, like they know yeah, what exactly. it is. Yeah, they you are actually, purposely sending people to die. 
you see phrases like crew expendable or whatever the hell it is. And you're like, yeah, okay. So the, yeah, these people are walking right into their right. death trap or whatever. Right. Yes, of right. course. Where, whereas, whereas the Detroit police are just another part of the corporate arm. Like it doesn't really yeah. matter either way. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, dude. Oh yeah. And like when we, when we get into the satire part, that's the, which is coming up soon. Um, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on that well, whole thing. Good, good segue. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, nice. Good, perfect Hell segue, yeah. Gemma. No, it, it, it's 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 funny because again, like I mean, this movie came out when we were like, I don't think either of us were even four yet. I think it was like honestly, eighty-seven. I think it, 80s, it was eighty-seven. I, so I was I was three. Right. And I I actually think when if when it came out, I wasn't even four yet. So, um, and you know, I've seen this movie plenty of times. When you see it like through the lens of a teenager, it's different. You see it through the lens of like a twenty-two, twenty-three year old, it's different. When I've watched it more recently, obviously, like the all the satire set in, right? All of the all of the allegories and things that they're every every message essentially that they're trying to make set in. So when it comes to the satire, the allegories, and everything else, um, what like is there like a singular statement that Robocop is trying to make, or like, or like what are like what are the messages? Um, I, I mean, obviously, just sorry, I don't want to I want to block you out here, but. Um, obviously, like a lot of the messages are the obvious messages, like about like the the corporate world, um, advertising humanity. But like, wh- what do you think? Like, what do you th- get to the core of the messages for me, if you will? Okay, it says that like corporations are taking over. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the core, simplest, like less than ten words, like explanation. And um, like we. I think we're, we're kind of seeing it now with like prisons and everything. I think prisons might be the first step, you know, mm-hmm. and then God only knows what it can, cause you, you can't stop the growth of the corporation. And like, honestly, like, like what is to stop Amazon from buying a local police force? Like when you think about it, like for real, like what is to stop them? Nothing, no, nothing, There's nothing, at all. nothing. And like, so, um, I know, like, I'm sure that we've covered this, and like, just just kind of bear with me on this one for a second, and please feel free to answer any que- ask any questions or whatever. But um, I've heard theories about how like we're kind of shifting back to like the feudal system, you know? Like, there's all this, you know, like, granted, like yeah. we 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 are like in like a democracy run by a president and a congress and everything. But Are we run by a president? I'm curious. Th- th- that's true. I think we're run by some <laughs> other country in Europe. That An autocratic produces... despot from from uh, yeah. the former Soviet Union? Yeah, that's true. It's like a James Bond movie happening before our eyes. Yeah. <laughs> or 24 season 5. But um, so there's this... There's this theory out there and like I'm... You know, I, I'll do whatever I can to provide evidence of it, but of... America, the world being reorganized into, quote, a modern day feudal system, end quote. And in this case, even though like we are having a governing umbrella body for now, but like when Amazon comes to town or like when even like going back to like the olden days when like a factory comes to town, the factory is king. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. that corporation is king it may not be one singular body um to like assign a label to 
but that corporation is king. And then like within that landscape, so if you, you take, you know, what, uh, whatever county Michigan or insert township Ohio where whatever factory, insert factory here is in there, like, you know, the corporation, that's what it is. And like they have coincidentally a CEO or somebody that runs things, a board of people like a Congress or a Senate. They have a task force security thing to guard their main complex mm-hmm. and everything that would be their knights and stuff. And then, like, they might influence the town political system. You know what I'm saying? Where, like, you have a mayor that is just basically a voice of the people against the corporation and stuff. And we may be shifting towards this dynamic more and more as, number one, jobs become more robotic and become more manufactured, become shipped overseas, become outsourced and everything. When people try to court Amazon as much as they can, doesn't it kind of feel like a bunch of fucking Game of Thrones towns trying to convince Robert Baratheon that they should set up an Ikea there? You know, like, <laughs> like, you know, fucking Westeros Ikea. Yeah, like, like, yeah, exactly, dude. Yeah, you can get like, you know, all this furniture, very, very cheap. You know, half gold dragons or whatever. Yeah, no. But, uh, yeah, but um, but but doesn't it have that kind of thing where like? All these people are like bending over backwards for Amazon as if it's like some, you know, and believe me, I know the economic impact It's going to be there. And I'm sure there are some downsides to believe me. Like, I know that Amazon's been getting a lot of bad press lately, but like, doesn't it kind of feel like Amazon is just a corporation version of LeBron James? Like when, you know, like billboards, hey, LeBron, come to L.A., LeBron, come to Chicago. Like, hey, Amazon, here's 47 proposals from different cities as to why you come here. Like, aren't we kind of becoming like isn't the modern day feudal system just a corporation or a business trying to move the town and set up shop and stuff and who's to said who is to say that like amazon like let's just say hypothetically and I, I don't believe the decision has been made yet but let's just say hypothetically that amazon decides like okay so we need to be in a city where we can really have government influence and stuff we really need to make things the way that we want them to be okay chicago so what do you think about getting like the Amazon treatment and stuff? So what do you think if we started holding the city hostage because we want to make things the way that we want them to be and stuff? Doesn't that just sound like a fucking feudally king kind of thing? You know, we're like, hey, by the way, like I'm a king and now I'm trying to take over some of your territory. I mean, Chema, you're hitting on something that's actually not you're right. Like you're 100 percent right. And it's actually not that new of a thing. Um, think about Think about the settling of the United States. Mm-hmm. What were the first things that were here? Massachusetts, like Massachusetts Bay Company? Yeah, that's right. Yes. And yeah. uh, I can't remember the company that was in Roanoke that was in Virginia. Like, those were the first things here. Um, they were 100% like, I, this is just, I think this just goes back to the founding of America that companies rule, they fucking rule everything. All right, so that was uh, that was breaking the seal break number two. Um, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to regain my my thoughts entirely because we're we're getting into something good there. Um, Chema Chema fucking cracked this open, and I'm just gonna go ahead and he Chema was my fullback knocking that linebacker out of the way. I'm gonna try to take this thing home. Mike um, Allstott all the way. That's, that's right, goddamn Mike Allstott. Good fucking drop right there. That was perfect. 
And you had the jersey too. Which I did. I nice. used to have the Mike Allstott jersey because I was yeah, a big fucking right. wide person. So. And, and you and Yax did your little uh, Mike Allstott work done, like in the hallways that's of high school. Right, yep, like, that's right. I forgot, I forgot Yax brought the work done. Dude, great drops right there. Those yeah, oh yeah. Believe me, I'm telling you, we are hitting this on all angles today. You know, like I said, I'm moving to Los Angeles. We got to get deep here, you know. I'm, again, I'm thanking alcohol for all of this. Yes. But. but no, but like the the first the first things that came to the United States were companies, and probably to the rest of the world, and this is this is like an important part of this, um, probably to the rest of the world, America has probably always looked like just like essentially a place for companies to go and settle and put roots down, and it, we're, we're talking Massachusetts Bay Company. I, I can't remember again. I'm forgetting the name of the company that went to Roanoke. Um, but like those are the first things here, and that's why that's the way things were set up initially. It was a company. You were doing things for a company to send ship back to England, and obviously we were not very fond of this system as, it, as you know years later. Yeah, that's right. Um, as we have this huge revolution, but that same system continued. There are city towns and company-owned towns that still exist that were set up and still exist to this day. Especially Chema in the Midwest. I mean, there mm-hmm. are. All sorts of towns that were set up for the singular purpose of of serving that company. I I live right next to one. the The Austin Powder Company um, used to basically set up an entire town in Oakwood, Ohio. That all the people that lived there worked there and served their purposes. We've never seen it on the scale of something like Detroit. And right. in RoboCop, that's essentially what they're what what they're alluding to. Um, in various interviews with uh, with with the OC with Ronnie Cox with Dick Jones, um, you get um, you get like information about the things that OCP owns. They own the police department, the fire department. They're building a new housing units called Delta City. They own the prisons. They own uh, mm-hmm. there hospitals. Obviously, they own the police. And a reporter actually asked them, "What's the profit in the police department or the fire department or the hospitals?" And Ronnie Cox is, has some kind of response about like, you know, wherever there's wherever there is um, wherever there is some kind of like venture or opportunity, there's money to be made. And he's not wrong. And I think the key, at least in this movie and in this situation, is that OCP also owns crime. Mm-hmm. So there are people to put into prisons. There are people to put in that the police can catch. And there are victims that the hospitals can serve. And right. because of Detroit becoming this crime-filled fucking uh, dystopian city, um, you're going to need housing for the people that can afford it. You're going to need prisons to house these people. And you're probably going to need, uh, additionally, like, fire department to, uh, you know, occasionally resuscitate someone and or put out fires that people are starting. Right. So, C- so OCP, besides making products for people, they are now so ingrained into everything that they literally control invisible aspects of your life that you would never think that are in that you would never think about before they control those two right and when you when you bring up the amazon comparison you are a hundred fucking percent right there's Mm -hmm. nothing to stop amazon from buying their own police department or hospital where i think it's going to start first is housing that's where yeah. I think that starts first. You're going right. to be able to buy an Amazon house or apartment. That's where right. it starts. Mm-hmm. And then who's to say that Amazon doesn't say, 
well, we have this great housing unit. It's, it's perfect. It's fantastic. But we just want to make sure that it's always safe. Right. You have Amazon Police. You have Amazon Fire. You have Amazon Hospital. You have Amazon whatever. Right. It's this They do is, already have Amazon Fire. It's a tablet. <laughs> that's a hi oh oh that's the best oh my god there we go that talk about ending on a high note anyway let's right. just cut the podcast off right i'm here. done yep done. But no it, it, again like we're talking about like there's there's serious thought when you bring up like you know amazon pitching all these cities and all these cities jumping at their snap of a finger <laughs> This is a movie from 1987 predicting what Amazon is kind of doing now. Mm-hmm. And again, this is. I'm sorry, I'm going to bring this up right now. Who are the screenwriters again? It's um, Edward Niermeyer and uh, uh, Minor. Niermeyer, Minor. Uh, you guys are fucking geniuses because yeah. you saw shit coming from miles and miles away that no one was even fucking thinking about. And then they no went to Starship Troopers after this, too. That's right. So, and they made Starship Troopers, which actually... This, which that, is going to be one of the movies we do on Cinema Dissection in a later episode. You guys own us. <laughs> God, they even own us. It's too much. Absolutely. Dude, absolutely. This is fucking nuts. But seriously, like, it, it's just... It's crazy. I think I think calling it the feudal system is, like, a little bit of a far stretch. Yeah, that, but that's... I know. But, that's the only comparison no, that, no, no, that, but, that I got. No, no, no. But it's not, like, yeah. a bad comparison. It's just... I think when you when you think about when you go back in time in America's history and you think about like the company cities and even really there are company cities even like that were founded like even like the 50s and 60s. So it's like not even that long ago. That's what this is. That's what that's what they're talking about in in, in this. That's one of the things that they're talking about. And but they're putting it on a big scale where a company would literally own everything, including the crime and. Trust me, it, I, I've, it sounds very, very bleak, but if a company could own crime completely, they would. Yeah, oh, of course. They would. Oh, God, yeah. It's like it's like a car company that also owns the fucking gas, you know? Yep. They, they would make their cars cruelly fuel inefficient, so you had to buy more gas from them. Right, exactly. Yes, you fucking bet, dude, all the way. So what is – so what is – um. So, you know, with the other, like, satire messages, what does it say about, like, our society and, and, and about humanity? Okay, well, I, th- I think it says that, like, we're all pretty much up for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, even, like, when it comes to people and everything, and, like, believe me, like, I'm not going to, like, get into the whole, like, oh, my God, I'm not for sale metaphor or whatever. But uh, I think that there's something about, like, just – being up for sale and also being so easily to be taken over and assimilated by mm-hmm. a greater, a greater, uh, more powerful party, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And no. like, I'm, t- oh, I'm telling sorry, you, yeah, you, you bet. And like, you know, like I got a, I got a brand new fucking iPhone today. You know what I'm saying? God only knows like what Apple is going to become. Like they could be the company that started off making phones that in the end of time is judgment day. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. No, dude, they're, they're, that's like the that's like I think that's like the biggest message, like the most mm-hmm. overt message, um, it, it buried in here is that people are are so susceptible to the the words and the influences of obviously big companies, um, but also like not even big companies like authority figures that like we're willing to 
just believe them and submit to them right. without really thinking too much about it. Um, like so much, so, like do you uh, do you remember what like so like the 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 per, you know the the scene where the woman almost gets raped and RoboCop shoots the dude in the dick? Yeah. Do you do you remember the billboard behind her? It's oh god, I know there was a billboard behind her. I can't remember what it is. What is it? It's it's for OCP's um, housing, um, new new housing called Delta City. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. You bet. But yeah, it, but it literally. Again, fucking genius. <laughs> this is so great. The slogan is Delta City. Even the future has a silver lining. And it's like, yeah, everything's really shitty now, guys. But if you buy this, <laughs> isn't that great? Right. Yeah. Like, like, And this is one of those things that I feel like companies can kind of sell on people. Like, oh, don't worry. Like, yeah, this is like version 8, you know, 6.0, 7.0, 8.0, whatever. But it, it could get better. It could even be even better in the future. Right. No one's ever thought about selling housing that way. But someone's going to eventually, right? Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah, dude. And you want to know what's really crazy is that um, the model of Delta City that they use, like that's in the boardroom and stuff, it looks like a futuristic version of the GM version of the GM Tower. It does. actually. It does. It, yeah. <laughs> actually, you're right. It does. Dude, this this movie's working on so many levels that like us sober and or drunk probably aren't doing it enough justice. But um, <laughs> but another but another thing that I think that like kind of gets another thing I think kind of gets lost in in like in the wash here um, with the with the over the top violence and like some of the other messages. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is Paul Verhoeven's first American movie, like fully American movie. Right. Um, a couple years before, he had done a movie with Rucker Hauer and Jennifer Jason Lee, but Jennifer Jason Lee was like, she was super young, and it was like financed in in the Netherlands. He's, he's uh, Paul Verhoeven mm-hmm. from Amsterdam. Um, Paul Verhoeven has a very particular idea about violence, about America, and about authoritarian figures. Um, Verhoeven's from, uh, like I said, he's from the Netherlands, from Amsterdam. He was he is a victim of like the Nazi concentration camps okay. um, he, he was in like I mean he was a child he was like like five or six years old but he was in a concentration camp as a child and everything that he's well not everything but especially like the big military movies and the big movies like like Robocop Starship Troopers um, there's there's another one I'm forgetting in here um, I look at this filmography um there's a big message about um, fascism, authoritarian, uh, you know, despotism, the authoritarian state, and it's clearly expressed in RoboCop mm-hmm. about how OCP is like this depressive force on everything, right? And one of those big things is his time spending time in a concentration camp with his family. Like this isn't like it's not a mistake. That that made right. it through everything that he does, but also, like he really like again like this is he'd mostly been working with with um, with other uh, actors from the Netherlands. Rucker Howard is also from he I think he was like Rucker Howard was like in like six of his movies in, in the Netherlands, and because oh, um, I mean you know he's from he's from Holland yeah. he's from Den- you know he's from Amsterdam too so they like right. it's I'm assuming that like when you go to other countries like that 
your film circles are very, very small. So, like, who else are you going to work with? Right, yeah, that's true. But, like, so, you know, he had, like, a very particular vision. He had a very particular idea about, like, what Americans were like. And all of the stuff that he had seen, especially, like, in the 80s and late 70s, were these super hyper-violent movies, like Rambo, like like The Terminator, um, like Cobra, like, yeah. f- just fill in the Predator, fill in the blank, were these hyper-violent movies. And, like, this is his, like, send-up of of those movies. That's why, like, this movie is, especially the first, especially Alex Murphy's, like, execution, why it's so violent. He just mm-hmm. He just was kind of like, this is what you guys like. I'm going to make fun of this. I'm going to go even more fucking horrific. Right, exactly. Yes, you bet. Oh, my God. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go over. Do you want to see an arm blown off? Oh, right. we're going to blow an arm off with a shotgun. Right, I'm going to blow an arm off with a shotgun. I'm going to make you watch me point the shotgun directly at his arm before I blow it off. Like, right. So, like, yeah, there's, like, I, I, I think, like, the two biggest messages here are obviously, like, that people can be bought and sold and that there are, the people can be bought and sold that the authority figures are more important than you realize and more influential than you realize. Mm-hmm. And that America is this like fucking crazy pot of violent people. Yeah. Like, I think those oh, are yeah. like the three overwhelming huge messages. Oh dude. Yes. Believe me. We are a goddamn all. We are a big can of gasoline and uh, it almost seems like the can of gasoline is so big that fires get started and they get put out. But at some point in time, it's going to get to that point where the whole gasoline can could blow. Um, cough, Florida, cough. Yeah, Florida, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Florida. Yeah, Florida. Yes, exactly. Yes. I mean, all these all these things pop up uh, pop up in a lot of other Verhoeven movies, but like for this movie was like so saturated with it, with his ideas. Uh, plus, you know, obviously, and plus the screenwriter's ideas that like it, it's just. Man, like there's there's like a, there's a strong message in there, and I just think at the time we're like we were too, I don't want to say naive, but like maybe too oblivious to things that were happening to recognize it. Right, I got you, definitely, dude, definitely. Um, so what do you think the so what do you think uh, RoboCop in terms of like the iconography, like what what, it, what does it mean to pop culture? Well, I definitely think it means a whole lot of T-shirts and posters and like yes, which are true. Butcher Billy type stuff art, but um, I don't know, man. There, there's something great about it. Like it's, it, it kind of is almost like the um, the the hipster version of Gruff the Crime Dog. You know what I'm saying? Like just insert phrase with RoboCop instead of Gruff, and it makes it more like humorous or whatever. Right. And I. I don't know, man. The, the the whole visor and like the the metal thing, like you you just know it and you see it. It's like it's a lasting pop culture icon, and um, you know we we've seen it's going to be remade with Kenneman and then again with Neil Blomkamp, and like that's the first time oh, we've gosh. actually mentioned the Joe Kenneman remake. <laughs> which I, which it, it lives and dies right here. But uh, <laughs> you know what? Not Joel Kenneman's fault whatsoever. Um, I've I've seen it twice. Because maybe I thought that I was just like too drunk the first Michael time I watched Keaton it. Is in that, Michael Keaton's in that movie too. Yep, and it's bad. It's, yeah. And so is Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. It is bad, and you don't need to see it. And I think the biggest reason why you don't need to see it, it doesn't contain any of the satire or allegorical messages that we're talking about. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's gone. Exactly. It's all gone. Right. 
Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah. So like, I, um, I think that it's like, I don't know, it's not necessarily a joke, but it's something that could be turned into humor, you know, like mm-hmm. there, there, there's some kind of movie images, like whenever you see, um, Oh God, like, uh, Jesus Christ. Like there's some kind of, I, I'm believing this is the alcohol here, but, um, there's some type of movie images. When you see them, you always know that they mean serious, but RoboCop, and there's some movies, images, and when you see them, you know, they, they could be funny. But RoboCop is one of these things where it's in between, where it could be serious and funny. And, like, you could just imagine, like, a picture of a graffiti of RoboCop, like, saying some phrase, like, you know, corporations rule the world. But then you can also have it be one of these kind of, like, RoboCop things where it's RoboCop saying, like, freeze punk or something, you know, yeah. it's still fun. Your, your move, creep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Dead or Alive, You're Coming With Me, which yep. is a great fucking line. Yes, it is. No, you know what, you're, dude, you're dead on. It has, because it's so layered, and it's saying a lot of things. I mean, and actually, we, we haven't even, we never even talked about how it's very, it's very pro, it's very pro-police. Like, yeah. in that it's, I know, I know we talked about how, like, it was anti-police in, in terms of ED-209, but it's very pro, because it, when you think about Alex Murphy, the cop, the actual, you know, before he becomes RoboCop, Alex Murphy's a very virtuous human being, right? I right. Mean, like we we have nothing, we have never been, con- we've never heard anything that says that Alex Murphy was anything other than a good cop. And right, his exactly. partner, uh, I can't remember Nancy Allen's character's name, she's a good cop too. Like, they're both good cops. And we, so we, we have to assume then that RoboCop is also, quote unquote, a good cop. And obviously he shows that he is. Um, right, you know, through the, through the film, I, I mean, there's there's like that like that message is there. So like it's it's a it's a little bit it's like a, a you know I don't know a, a dual edged sword, like mm-hmm. it's anti authoritarian, but it's also pro. You know what? As much as we talk about our like left leaning sensibilities, I am pro good cop. Yeah, like, I am pro good cop. I know I know people who've served the police force and they're great cops, and I'm behind them a hundred percent. If right. you want to be RoboCop, I'm fucking behind you 100%. Right, definitely. You, you know what I mean? Like, there's also that message. It's really interesting, like, how... Like, I'm actually scrolling through some, like, RoboCop, like, fan art stuff. And it's just, like, really, like... It's really interesting how it's simultaneous... Some of it's very heroic-looking, and some of it's very, like... Um, I don't know, like, almost, like, horror kind of stuff. Like, it's, like, him disassembled... Showing right. like the you know like everything that went into make you know what I mean like yeah he's a very this character and I think this was very unintentional that this character becomes this kind of like piece of pop culture that you could you could see him as an anti authority character or a positive authority character because like right. I, I, when I was when I was reading the trivia stuff apparently the cops the like they actually screened. Um, they, they screen one of the rough cuts in front of a bunch of cops from, you know, various police departments. Mm-hmm. And they loved, they loved it when RoboCop got, finally got to, like, take kind of vengeance on Clarence. Yeah. Like, they loved that shit. And it's like, you know what? I right. bet cops love it when they get to take down a cop killer. I bet they fucking yeah. love that shit. And, oh, I, yeah. and I'm with you on that one. Like, I'm totally with you on that one. No, definitely, dude. Definitely. And um, can I uh, stop one second? I have to use the bathroom really quick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I'm in the okay. S- 
All right. Uh, so <laughs> we're that was bathroom break number three, uh, and we're, we're talking about the, the RoboCop iconography, and it, it just like how like ever president is in pop culture, and it's it's really. I, I think that it's one of those things. I don't know if it survives as long as like you, you, you brought up Butcher Billy. I don't know if it survives as long as like David Bowie. Um, right. I don't know if it survives as long as um, just think, trying to think of something else that like in pop culture. Recent oh, pop like culture. like like Smith references yeah. or um yeah or like sticking with Butcher Billy DC characters yeah. or something you know uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if it's gonna last as long as Batman necessarily but like this is one of those things that's going to last a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have to imagine that like when we're like in, at least in our fifties, we're going to see new, we're going to see new articles pop up every so often about like this old movie, RoboCop, you know, like it, it, it predicted like these things that happen in the future. Like I, right. I really think that it, oh, yeah. it has, it has like that kind of like stature in pop culture. I really think it does. Yeah, it could be one of these kind of things where, like, you know how people are all buzzed up on idiocracy predicting the future? Right. Maybe, like, maybe RoboCop is the next uh, predicting the future kind of thing, as, as their version of the future becomes more true. Yep, I, and you know what? I, I think <laughs> I think um, Paul Verhoeven's... I feel like Paul Verhoeven's done a couple of these movies, and I would argue that... Um, I would argue that, like, the sort of... I, we we talked about it before, like the sort of warrior class in mm-hmm. the United States, because like fewer and fewer people join the military now than right. they ever than at any point in time previous in, in the United States history, and mm-hmm. in general they're from like the same families. So like if your dad served, you're you know, or like if like essentially if right. your grandpa served, you're much more likely to have served, yeah, than than previously before, right? And I think. <laughs> that oddly enough, Starship Troopers again, a, a movie that I guarantee we're going to talk about on one of these cinema dissection episodes, as Chema mentioned before. Starship Troopers kind of captured that sort of like how like the military is very. I, I don't want to speak ill about the military, but how they purposely are doing things to keep you indoctrinated. And right. how they prey on families, and how yeah. they and prey is a terrible word, but how they recruit from families. Like, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's very future telling, right? And it's weird that this fucking Dutch filmmaker who makes over the top movies is teaching us these lessons about like American society that are very true. Wouldn't it be crazy if like Starship Troopers is really how everything happened, but it's like years into the future where it's just like giant you, parasitic bugs? I'll tell you what. As soon as a giant fucking bug drops down here, then I'm just gonna be like, you know what, Verhoeven? I'm gonna go back and watch. Is there a, is there a fucking Invisible Man somewhere? Yeah. Is Hollow Man gonna come true too? We'll see what happens. <laughs> oh God, Hollow Man! <laughs> no, you don't need to watch that, folks. Yeah, it's not. That yeah, please. Yeah, please don't. Yeah, that, that that's right. All right. So to to wrap up here. Um, you have a question on here, and I have a question for you too. Um, who would win in a fight? Because this was actually, I, I, and I remember this video game very well. Who would win in a fight, RoboCop or Terminator? Dude, I I hate to say it, but I think Terminator is going to do it. Like Terminator is just an outright killing machine, and like I know we spent the whole time going over RoboCop, and I don't want to be the one who like dismantles RoboCop's glory throughout the conversation, but I just think Terminator would do it. Um. I'm going to just, for argument's sake, I'm going to take the other side and say that in, in RoboCop 3, they gave him, like, fucking rocket booster wings. 
Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. So he can fly, and as far as I know, Terminator can still not fly. (laughs) That's the only reason why. Because otherwise, you're right. Terminator is a fucking killing machine. Yeah, dude. Oh my god, I forgot about the Robo. It's like, oh my god, it's like the Tremors two of the RoboCop franchise. Like, what do we do? We make them fly. And actually, who? And it wasn't Peter Weller in that one. I'm gonna look it up right now. It was someone notable though who played who was in RoboCop. Not notable, but like you recognize the name, right? Bobby Cannavale, I guarantee it, right? Robert John Burke hmm. is RoboCop. Hold on. I know I know that name. Or maybe not. Apparently he's been on some episodes of Last Week Tonight. Let me see here. Who is this person? Wait, Ed Tucker in Law & Order's SV. Oh, boy. I don't... I don't Oh, he's the guy from Thinner. He's in uh, Rescue Me. He's in yes. Sons of Anarchy. Thank you. Thank, yeah. Thinner, Thinner clicked it. There you go. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's, it's that guy. But uh, Nancy Allen is. Ann Lewis is still in it. And uh, yeah, I'm sure, you bet. I'm sure Nancy Allen is still in. Was still in yeah. the, the subsequent ones. That, yeah. he, Robert John Burke's one. He's got this deep voice like this, and he talks, and he's just yep. like, "Oh my God, Henry, what's going on?" You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. As soon as you mentioned Thinner, I was like, "Oh yes, okay." Yeah, absolutely. that's the guy. Yeah, you bet. And the director is Fred Decker. Let's see what weirdo random things he's directed. He's Fred only directed Decker. four things. Uh, Robocop Three, Tales from the Crypt. Oh, he directed the Monster Squad. Holy shit! Wow. Great movie. That's a great movie. Yeah, that's uh, Shane Black all the way. Yeah, no shit. No um, shit. Yeah. Wow. So, all right. So we we briefly mentioned the um, the Joel Kinnaman RoboCop, which you don't need to see. <laughs> Unless you're really into, mm, I would say, B minus special effects. <laughs> like seriously, the whole movie's B minus. Like, it, for a movie that was supposed to be that big, it could have been at least visually, it could have been a lot better. But whatever, we're splitting hairs here. Um, they're gonna reboot it at some point in time if they haven't if they haven't already like you know greenlit some like TV series or movie. Um, who would you want? to play RoboCop going forward? Ooh, that is a good fucking question. Well, I, I can't think it's going to be anybody too A-list, mm-hmm. and but it also can't be anybody too C-list either. So we got to find, like, the perfect harmony. And I will tell you, I'm going to give this... There's one man out there who has just outright earned this role. It is the other Hemsworth, 100%. Give it to that man. <laughs> I like it. No, I know. All right, I like it. I like it. Um, can I can I plug a um, a show favorite here? Yeah, you bet. Um, going forward, I, I would be very intrigued to see Alexander Skarsgård. Ooh, take on take on the role. Ooh, well, believe me, if um, Joel Kenneman, like it, clearly, like he seems to be the guy who's taken the role that no one wants because there's no one else who wanted this whole thing. Right? Maybe Alexander Skarsgård will be the guy who picks up the scraps of Joel Kenneman. I because you know, like when I think about this, I think about like having. It's not that you have to be like that physically intimidating because, in this day and age, it's going to be all CG anyway. Right. But it would be advantageous to be like a little bit taller, a little bit bigger. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. like, like, like I, just, I just think, first off, we always talk about it. I really enjoy when there are more practical effects in a movie. Mm-hmm. And the more practical effects you can have with like a tall actor, 
the better. Because it just, you know what I mean? Like, it just works out well when you have someone who's, what is Skarsgård, 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six? I mean, he's real oh, dude. Yeah, he's a goddamn Norwegian prince. This yeah. is fucking insane. It, it would be great to be able to use his physicality. Um, and, and obviously not in all the scenes, but like in the scenes where he's like up close to someone, um, it would be, it would be great to use his physicality, but I I just like, I know how this goes. They would just like stick someone's head essentially on a CGI body. So it could be like fucking Robert Downey Jr. On top of like, well, that's fucking Iron Man. (laughs) Like, right. Yeah. By the way, Robert, sorry to spoil this folks. Robert Downey Jr. Is spending zero time in anything that resembles a full outfit. Um, right. He, he's just wearing like something that goes around his neck and his head. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like if you you would be like kind of, it would just be like a big error if you didn't go ahead and cast a, a like a big tall actor to portray this part. Yeah, definitely, dude, definitely. And Alexander Scars does have the voice for it. That's for sure. He's got the voice for it. He's got the look for. It. He doesn't have to say much. It's not like yeah. you have to be like that vociferous. You don't have to say much. But you have to deliver lines with, like, a certain emphasis, a certain oomph. Yeah. Oh, and you get to see the best part of his beautiful face, the bottom half. Exactly. It's either... it's I can't... You know what? It's funny, because I can't think of any other, like, current actors that I would, like... Other than, like, some big-time people, like, just think of, like, The Rock or someone, that are, like, on the tall end and, like, physically imposing. I really can't think of anyone else that's, like, that big. Yeah, that's true. Maybe John Krasinski or something, but he's just like cut or whatever, and that lucky bastard. He doesn't. He doesn't like. But lucky bastard, my goodness, Emily Blunt, good job, man. Um, yeah, I, yeah, but like he just doesn't resonate like that feel. I gotcha. I mean, like I could almost buy him as Alex Murphy. I don't think I could buy him as RoboCop. Yeah, I know. I totally understand, dude. I totally understand. But anyway, all right, uh, Chema. Any last thoughts as we wrap this episode up? Other than the fact I am drunk and this is fucking great. <laughs> Same um, here. Yeah, this is fucking awesome. So uh, we will uh, we'll figure out um, like you know me being a part of the podcast in the future. We'll figure all that shit out, dude. And yeah. I'm telling you, man, like you got to come to the party next week. And I'll be uh, there. I'll be there for sure. Uh, awesome, uh, dude. It's going to be fucking great. And I'm telling you, everybody, like I uh, I don't have any more thoughts on RoboCop, but um, for now, like just Adam's time in the Rust Belt has been some of the greatest times of his life. But he's looking forward to doing what he's actually doing and believe me man i'm all about i'm i'm all about the the fucking everything that lies ahead for me and i'm telling you it's uh this has been an absolute joy for me so dude like it's been great and i'm drunk and i'm gonna probably rant on for just about 10 more seconds and uh 10 9 8 whatever yeah but uh long story short is yes this has been fucking amazing i love it and i I can't wait to i can't wait to see you next weekend it's gonna be fucking awesome that was literally exactly 10 seconds from when he said 10 seconds. So perfect. Um, no, wow, that Gemma, was not even intentional either. <laughs> that was that was perfect. Gemma, appreciate, uh, appreciate all the effort you put in and uh, appreciate all the discussions we've had on and off air. They're always fucking fantastic. Um, maybe maybe one day we'll do an entire podcast about the shit that we talk off talk about off air. Oh god, I can't, I can't wait. Oh, you high school people like yeah, I can't I wait. Oh, get ready you guys. Get, get fucking ready, ready Facebook. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do one of those in the future, but no, for sure. Thank you for always uh always being there to do this podcast with me. I, I really appreciate it. I really enjoy it. I enjoy your thoughts on uh on all things pop culture, and I wish you nothing but the best going forward. And I and 
I know that this isn't a good buy. This isn't a good buy because for sure we're gonna we're gonna figure. Right. Well, if we have to do this every fucking Saturday, we'll do this every fucking Saturday. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Right. Oh, dude, you you fucking bet. This is this is nowhere near a goodbye. It's just a uh, a hiatus, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chema, just give us the give us the goodbye, and we'll, we'll get out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for like listening to our drunk asses talk about RoboCop. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> love it. So uh, my name is Adam Chemelusi. You can find me at Polish Kaiju on all the social media platforms. It's Matt Pagel at Citizen Pigs. This is the Occasionalist Podcast on Flying. No, it's not Flying. Flyingmind.com. and then you can find us on iTunes and Podbean. Uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll I'll take care of that part. I got I got to do a lot. Of okay. work so, <laughs> I got to do a lot of work on that end. So don't worry about that. Well, if any of you guys believe me, whenever you're uh, hopefully you're drinking while listening to this podcast, and if you're still drinking afterwards, have a couple more for us, and we wish you the best. You bet.